Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight, and it is 4.20. But because we're responsible, we're not actually high right now. We already did that for you in advance. <laughs> and the joke that everyone thinks is because we were so high, we released it one day early, didn't we? We released it yesterday. We released our 4.20 content on 4.19, even though, by the way, I will just say, just because of my heritage, there is no such thing as 4.20. It would be 24, wouldn't it? Like, it'd be the day, then the month. Wouldn't make any other sense with any other system, would it? So anyway, so basically, if you go on this YouTube channel, you can already watch the video we did where we went back and we watched a bunch of cringe content and funny stuff. And, and also, like I said, we would. We got a lot of like deep law. So actually, the other thing is, even though we're high, we do a pretty good job actually of explaining a bunch of the details <laughs> around what was going on with the yeah. different people and giving you their little insights, etc. So there's already that video up, but also... We are actually sponsored by a new sponsor for our content. And this one is quite an interesting one. It's a company called Liquid IV, where it's basically like a bunch of electrolytes in a drink that you have. I, I basically think of like replenishment drinks is the sort of vein that we're in here. Tell us a little bit about it, Monty. Yeah, so I've I've actually been using this a bunch because I've used other electrolyte supplements, especially for my workouts in Muay Thai, because a lot of it, I sweat a lot in the cardio. Um, but I mean, it also is, I, I think it tastes really good. You can get both caffeinated and uncaffeinated versions if you like pre-workout or just want a little bit of an energy boost as well. And it hydrates two times faster than water alone and has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. So other uses that people have said, a lot of people in our comments of other videos have talked about how much they like it. I really like it, uh, personally, but it's also been used. People have said it's great for, if you've been, if you're out partying at night, drink it before you go to bed or drink it when you wake up. It makes the hangover quite a bit better, people say. I haven't tested it in that way yet, um, but I believe it because a lot of that is dehydration and lack of electrolytes, so it makes sense to me. And also, especially with the, the summer festival season coming up, or if you guys are outside a lot in the heat in the summer, if you're working outside, cleaning up your yard, whatever you're doing, uh, this is great to just keep you hydrated throughout the day. And like I said, tastes really good. Also has five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, vitamin C, 12 different flavors. You can get it nationwide in bulk at Costco. But the best way to support us guys, as usual, if you want this, is to go to liquidiv.com and use the code LFN at checkout. It will get you 20% off your entire order. So it's been great. I've enjoyed it. I know you've had it too, Thor, and how have you been liking it? Yeah, I mean, I will say, I actually do know a little bit about electrolytes because I, I, the last few years when everyone was trapped indoors, one of the things I got into was like supplementation. And one of the things that will probably shock most people is actually most people by default don't seem to get enough electrolytes among other like uh, vitamins, et cetera, into their diet anyway. So I would also yep. say in that sense, if you're someone who's never looked into it, it's good in that regard because you're just going to get like what you need in terms of electrolytes. And then also I agree with what you were saying there. By the way, topical to 420, not just from like alcohol hangovers, but people don't realize weed hangovers are a real thing as well if you smoke a lot. Like the next day, your head's going to feel a bit dodgy. You're gonna wake up. Well, if you do that, one, the automatic thing anyway was like alcohol, drink some water. But if you can drink some electrolytes, that's also going to help. And I will also say the interesting thing about the flavor profile of this, I've tried a lot of different electrolyte stuff over the years, is oftentimes the taste is a bit weird, but that's because if you ever try taking just a lot of electrolytes with no flavor, it's a very, very strong, like sort of almost bitter flavor. So yeah, what you salty. do is you, you put in a, yeah, oh, it is. Just is very salty, which obviously if you're not used to drinking savory drinks, will feel weird. So what they do with this sort of a drink is they put like a really strong sweet flavor over the top. So like there's like a pina colada one was pretty good. They nailed that flavor if you don't know in all 
uh, artificial flavors anyway. There's a the strawberry one's pretty good. There's a tangerine one. They generally like, they've done a good job getting the flavor profile. So like it makes the flavor so it isn't hard to drink. So yeah, I actually I, I thought it was pretty good. Like I'm into that stuff anyway. But just yeah, better, me too. It was a better version of what I already was using myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Definitely into it. Like I said, uh, I've been I've been using it for heavy cardio. It's, it's also so easy. You just literally take the packet, put it when you know yeah. the sixteen ounces powder, of water. You just put it in, shake it up. It's, it's like certain other drinks I drink, and then you just, you're ready to go. There's nothing else you have to do. There's no, yeah. it's, no it's a special technique. It's easy as fuck. Yeah, and they've got all the scientific studies and uh, you know nutritional information over at the site if you guys are curious. But honestly, very good product. I've been using it a lot. Um, so really excited for this sponsorship from them. And again, liquidiv.com, promo code LFN, 20% off your entire order. Doesn't go bad, guys. So buy it in bulk now to support us if you want it. Appreciate it. And they All also, right. by the way, even do it where they come in like individual sachets. So if you're actually going to go to a gym, it's way easier. You just take one. Oh, you're yeah. not taking like a That's ton and scooping some out and hoping. <laughs> you just take the sachet and put this just one portion yeah. basically. So it's, it's super easy, super easy. Yep. Very good. All right. Well, guys, it's another week and another announcement by Riot. So here's, here's another reason you guys watch Summoning Insight. You're not going to hear people talking about this in any other venue. The latest blog post. Uh, that was released by Riot this week, uh, written by John Needham, who is the head of esports, all of esports globally at Riot, about um, the the direction of their their esports division, and why this is being released now is because the teams are in shambles, guys, and they're needing to do a level of PR and discussion about the future of monetization in esports. And they've dropped some really juicy details in here, including way, things. Just yeah, to, yeah. before you go into the details, what I would say when you're setting up the framing like that is exactly what you need to ask yourself is this. What happened elsewhere in esports in the world before Riot did this? That could have been impetus. Well, think about it, right? We've got all stories of teams are selling out in the LCS. Maybe they're leaving League. Then the Overwatch League is just slowly collapsing Titanic style. Like as yep. all these things go, essentially Riot is, it's, there's almost like, I bet there's even a vibe behind it's like, someone's got to say something. We've got to reassure people. Like that's just what this blog is, as far as I can tell, Monty. Well, it's also about reassuring the teams. Um, you, you know, there was a there was a an owners meeting uh, last week with the LCS owners um, and the at over at Riot, and uh, people were kind of frustrated, from what I understand, about what was going on. And you know, this is this has been an issue, as you say, Thorne, because some of these teams are consolidating. Some of them, you know, some of them are collapsing. Um, there's been a lot of sale or talk about sales from some of these very popular uh, endemic teams to League of Legends. And also, you know, there's a there's as Riot points out, there's about 93 teams within the global ecosystem of Riot, uh, League of Legends, at least. And there's 30 in Valorant. And they discuss both Valorant and League of Legends here. And they, they do release some details, such as the fact that they have been working on their own streaming platform, which they've been working on for years, guys. But this is another one of those Riot projects that, as I understand it from talking to people, has really hit a lot of delays. And so they haven't been able to fully release it yet. But it seems like if they're announcing it, they might be getting close at this point in time. Um, to be clear, and if you guys want to suffer through this, I would recommend against it. I suffered through it for you so I can relay the important information. But Travis Gafford does have an interview with John Needham on his channel. And he does talk about some of these things in more detail, but I will provide the color uh, from that. 
And again, I don't know because Travis Gafford, the last time he interviewed John Needham, had a do over where they said, oh, no, we don't like the way we didn't like the way that interview went. Can you come do that interview over again a different day? Right. So I don't know how many times this interview happened till they were happy with this one. But the whole thing has been ridiculous. Just just, just refresh my memory, Monty. You know when um, David Frost interviewed Richard Nixon and put a lot of hard questions to him? Did they actually just go, you know what, Nixon, at the end of the first day, go, you know what, I don't really like the way this is going and the tone's a bit off. Can I? Can you just come back and ask me the same come back questions tomorrow. so we'll I can prepare my answers and just make them better? Like, can you do that, okay? But then when you do it, though, can you present it as though this was the first time, though? And definitely I did not know. What? <laughs> By the way, if you don't know, Richard nailed this years ago. This is why Travis is a joke. Because Travis will do an interview with Riot. He's done this in the past. Like, he did that one with... Um... I don't, was it actually Mark Merrill? I think it was Mark Merrill. He did it with, and then it was about like the whole like women sexual discrimination lawsuit. And he, no joke, it was like Travis's role in that interview was like he was the press like secretary trying to cover for the president doing something fucked up. It was insane. The dynamic was so <laughs> inappropriate for a journalist. So, like, it doesn't surprise me he's doing that again, mate. It's just the way Travis operates, apparently. And yeah, Riot, and, to be and, fair, I, I mean, I don't know how to interpret like redoing an interview until Riot is happy with it as anything else than being part of the riot PR apparatus. I mean, at that um, point, let's be real. Here's what we'll do, Monty. <laughs> By his own logic in doing that, just like when when um, Mark Z talked about how he had to get Travis's approval to put that video on his YouTube channel, essentially, Riot approved even the content of this interview by that logic. Normally, you only approve an interview opportunity, and after that, you know, you have to do be a big boy and say the right things. By this logic, apparently, Riot has, like, editorial fucking control over Travis. Well, then he's not an independent journalist by definition, <laughs> is he? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So I don't know if, if this... This interview was redone or how many times it was redone, but there was an interview um, with John Needham. So like I said, I will provide some of the color from that. You guys can go watch it if you want. Um, there's there is some additional information. So basically, uh, it's a it's a very long blog post, guys. I will read parts of it to you and discuss what I think, given the information that I have from behind the scenes and just our, you know, kind of our perception of the direction the industry is headed. If you guys want to know why this is happening on this channel, uh, if you're on YouTube, um, if you are not on YouTube and you're on podcast platforms, it's on the Four Horsemen uh, the Four Horsemen feed. But if the last episode of the Four Horsemen with Devin Nash, it's where uh, Richard and Thorne and I dive into all of the business problems with esports right now, which is pretty important to understand why this blog is coming out. But in short, what's going on is that the teams are due to the economy. So a lot of venture capital has been much more difficult to acquire right now. And also when you receive it, they want to see a longer runway uh, because nobody knows what's going on with the economy right now. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank hurt venture capital, at least in the short term, um, and kind of made the market jittery. And also the ad market is really bad right now. Uh, overall, although it is getting better, as you can tell by our lovely sponsors on our channel. And uh, the other factor has been that esports itself has been in a bad place with investment and PR, because especially things like phase clans, uh, stock price tanking, the fact that there have been, you know, at this point in time, probably literally over a billion dollars across esports uh, invested in these teams with the anticipation that they were going to grow by now to be like the size of the NBA. 
Obviously, that hasn't happened. You know, Overwatch League has zero sponsors right now. We see sponsors dropping off uh, from LCS. We see LCS actually decreasing in, in popularity as as evidenced by the fact that they had a lower uh, count viewer count on the finals they had a lower average viewership so far this year so it's it's bad times it's bad times and while i think that riot is announcing some interesting things the problem that the owners have let me let me make an analogy for you the problem the owners have at the moment is that the teams that are really in trouble they're like the teams are like a really fat guy having a heart attack and Riot's a doctor, and Riot is standing there, and the guys, the, the team is the fat guy having the heart attack, and the teams are just begging Riot for help. And Riot's saying, well, you know, you shouldn't have eaten all that saturated fat for all those years and really loaded up. And the guy's like, help, please, I'm dying. Can I have a defibrillator? Do some CPR. And Riot's like, well, you know, we're going to change your diet, and in 2025, we think you're going to be on a healthier route. And the teams are still dying on the floor. So that's kind of the analogy here for what Riot is doing. I think that they do have some interesting ideas about how to address these issues. Um, and the teams are definitely responsible <laughs> for part of the state that they've been in. But it doesn't help save them now, which is part of what they need. Yeah, but here's um, my problem with that whole premise, right? Essentially, what you're doing there is almost like a libertarian take of like, well, you know, Riot's a company who has their own interests, and each of the owners has their own interests, and, you know, everyone has to be responsible. Yeah, but here's the problem with that is these yeah. owners didn't make investments and buy all these top players for top salaries and do crazy, like, marketing campaigns just apropos of nothing. Riot literally implied certain things, set up a certain rev ecosystem with revenue in it and stuff, promised that over the years they would build up viewerships make the project bigger yes. and that your franchise so essentially they, they would did all media rights there were essentially some false assumptions that riot sort of tricked people at a minimum just implied sometimes overtly said but they can go back on it now so my only problem with that angle is riot does try to pretend at the end like well it's up to you what you did it's like almost every single thing in league of legends esports is bottlenecked by riot games direct control like it's not some they try to make it sound like it is this wild west frontier where if you just come and you're made of the right stuff you can swing away with your pickaxe and strike a seam of gold. No, this is like there is an enormous seam of gold, but Riot controls all access to it. Don't tell us yes. how much gold there is. And then when <laughs> you are the guy who's part of their system and you're like, I'm not getting enough gold to make this worth it. You just go like, well, you sort of are. And besides, maybe I'll just reinvent everything for you. That's like what this blog post... After, by the way, I actually thought the only thing this blog post was good for, aside from us making content on oh. it, is just showing who in esports is an absolute mark. Like, if you were one of the people who read this and went, this is brilliant, Riot's recommitting that. You're it, just a fucking mark. It almost, you're an idiot. It almost reads like satire in certain parts. And it, it offers very little I found it very insulting the whole premise, mate. Yeah. And, and to your gold analogy, Thorin, they're like they're protecting the seam of gold. And what they're telling the owners in this blog post is almost like, well, guys, we're going to find a different seam of gold for you, but we're not sharing the seam of gold that we have right now. Absolutely. Maybe we'll find it. Maybe we won't. <laughs> right? like, let me give you a random example. Right. Obviously, we can go into some of the specifics. I'll just use this as, a, as like a, a touch point lightning rod uh, example, Monty. When they try to set up why they're going to need their own streaming platform and why in sports broadcast rights a big deal that sounds like they're coming to save us monty brilliant riots coming to save us but as you pointed out they already by the way have a golden goose they 
they just won't let us have access to the eggs. Now they're saying <laughs> we're going to get a second golden goose. Exactly. And don't worry Maybe. if you just if you just let us get this second golden goose. And by the way, put all of your careers on the line by going to this new platform, which will start with fuck all viewership, which means the whole sport will go down. If you take that risk, guys, honest, we'll give you a share this time. Go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> you know one thing I want to say? Let me rewind this whole thing to the beginning. I've got a one-minute rant for you here. It goes like All this. Right. I'm sick and tired of this pathetic approach where everyone in esports, just because either Riot makes the game that they play or their favorite player plays a Riot games, or in some way they're juiced into the ecosystem and directly profit as a result of a Riot games game in esports, I am sick of this approach where Riot can take a billion L's and tell a billion lies and everyone pretends like there's some intellectually honest person who goes, no, no, we can't assume Riot might be lying or they might be scumbags or they might be selfish. We must always assume and learn nothing from the past that Riot is a brand new set of people. There never was. What, that was old Riot. That was the old people. Now this is the... And every time we have to get tricked by the con man the same way every time. You know what? When people tell me that stuff, Monty, like, you have a hate boner against Riot. Why the fuck don't you? What would they... <laughs> would they have to actually kill women before you'd have a hit one against them. Well, they have to actually wreck everyone you know in esports for billions of dollars, billions more than this, before you hate them. What would they doing make you hate them? Would they have to actually be owned by China and your literal game profits be enriching the country of China and all the things they do in human rights? Would they have to do more than that before you'd even start to dislike them? Before when they put out a bunch of shite with no evidence and no sources, you go, maybe I'll be critical and somewhat cynical when I read this. You guys are the marks. It's the other way around. I laugh at you if you don't have a hate boner. Like, I already knew half of this shit from 10 years ago. Now it's all yep. even out in the public and you guys still carry water for Riot Gibb. Why? Like, here's the thing <laughs> yeah, as well. <laughs> it just gets those, those like, trying to be too fair like that when someone doesn't deserve it. Also just gets in the way of the interesting points. Like, there's loads in this blog post that's actually very interesting. It's, it's actually, essentially, if you can decode it, it tells you everything. Yeah, and so we have to provide the key, guys, because yeah. it, it is insane PR speak, and it's this is going to yes. take a while. So, so buckle up because we are gonna we are gonna you know entirely break this down for you. And honestly, this is a good week for it to happen because there's not actually that many games to talk about. We got a little LPL, a little LEC, um, but we're basically heading into MSI. So thanks, and Riot. If you like for... this article, you're high as shit already. You're off your tip completely, mate. <laughs> if anything, you need to fucking you know, settle it down a bit. <laughs> this is full on Riot Kool Aid. Um, I mean, I just it's also the way this is written is really hilarious because it has all these details that are just completely unnecessary, such as the start of it is just why Riot loves esports, which is like, I don't care about this. I don't care why you love esports, Riot Games. Um, so they basically talk about the ambitions of the founders wanting admired Intel Extreme Masters and games with uh, esports like StarCraft and Counter-Strike, and yet they didn't learn any of the lessons from the production or operation of those game circuits. Um, and so they wanted LOL to be an esport and have a high quality experience. And I will say this, like, I, this isn't going to be all shitting on Riot. By the way, At just the as an aside, imagine having the gall to say that you loved StarCraft 2, but then take until like the 2020s before you ever have double a limb. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. That means you never watched StarCraft 2, you fucking liar.
He's just a liar. I say, yeah, how about the only one who knows this? You know, StarCraft 2 is nearly all fucking double lip. Like, by, by the way, basically. GSL groups are, are what we call They're the four-team yeah, double limb groups. Limb and we only yeah. started using those this year in League of Legends. By the way, guys, those existed in when the GSL started in like 2009. By the way, okay. this is why Riot always tell on themselves. Because they can never just say, Monty, we've, we've, we've learned X and we're going to do Y. They always have to pretend we've discovered. Covered X, and we're inventing Y. And Thanks, so Christopher in, Columbus. And so when you do this here, what you find out is that they actually are bragging to you that they've come to an epiphany that I knew before yeah. their company was founded. Like, they dare yeah. in here. They Dude. actually have the gall to see a line in here where they tell us that esports isn't like traditional sports. If you know anything about the stories on this show, Riot Games was the number one place in all of esports that demanded esports be treated like traditional sports, literally the NFL. They were the ones who made that a completely fake principle, and now they've reneged on it themselves, but they're pretending they're the ones having the epiphany. Like, right. what is the and, epiphany? I mean, I mean the, the analogy here is like, the, the Columbus one is good. Like, some of us were already on the esports continent, the natives of the esports continent, and Riot just rolled up like Christopher Columbus and said, wow, I discovered this brand new land. And then they came in with all of their guns and horses. And while we were sustainably hunting the buffalo, they came and almost made them extinct. And so here we are. They're like, wow, there aren't any buffalo left. I wonder fucking why there aren't any buffalo left Riot Games. But I will say this about Riot. At the time that they started this in 2013, uh, in it, 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 they really did level up a lot of the production because in the West, especially, this is not true, to be very clear, in Korea, where OGN still was kicking their ass comprehensively in the early days of LCS um, in 2013 and 2014. But they, you know, ESL didn't have the money to put into this because they didn't have, again, the profit center of the microtransactions, which is the core issue behind monetizing esports today. Because we, again, we still do not know what the revenue does derive from esports marketing is because that way, is a closely guarded secret from the developers. Think how insane that fact is, Monty, right? We, we do this ourselves right now in our business. Imagine, Monty, if we could just go to sponsors and tell them, sponsor us, we're really good. And they go, right, can I see your numbers? Well, of course not. Well, no idea. I'd need to know, how, you know how, what revenue do you do? What companies do you do? No, well, I, I, I can't reveal that, but it's very high. Trust me. <laughs> like, you couldn't have a business relationship based on that. By the way, it's not even like you have to, it also has to be true. We have to have like a ballpark figure at least. Like they don't even give us that, guys. Like the joke is they really want us to believe. And if you notice how these these posts are written, Monty, they don't give any clue in these posts. Like they could be making $1 from eSports or they could be making a trillion. There's no yep. indication which it is. But 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 you have you do have some indications, right? Because they keep running esports. If they didn't if they didn't want to run esports, they could have outsourced Valorant to an independent tournament organizer oh, like Valorant Blaster is ESL. The, Valorant is the canary in the coal mine, Monty. What yes. Valorant shows you is this is holy shit, wait a minute. They don't even need a franchise fee. In fact, they'll pay you. Bro, we were all on the wrong side of this. That means they're insanely profitable. Yes. Insane. They're making so much, guys. That's the deal they offer us. That's not yeah. even like a hard... They offer that deal. By the way, if you don't understand, I'll give a quick analogy I've told in the past. A bit, it was in maybe something like 2017, Monty. I went out for drinks once with a, a big NA team owner, and he told me a story over drinks of like, oh... 
the I said like how much do those streamers make for you? Because he had some like big league and other game streamers, and he said, oh, some of them make like forty k a month for me. And I was like, oh okay. And he was like, of course, I only pay them twenty k. And he, and then he laughed like, <laughs> and then what I realized is, wait a minute, that's just Riot Games the whole time. Yes. Because the joke here is Riot Games goes, you know what? I'm gonna pay you very handsomely twenty thousand a month, and you don't know that like you just made them. In this case, it'd be way more than double. You made them like ten times that or something. Yeah, I mean, as I've discussed previously, current revenue share uh, on the LCS is about $2 million a team. That's guaranteed revenue for the teams. So, and, and it, I think LCS is the highest, um, but yeah, they do that for all of the teams in all of the regions to varying degrees. Also, here's so, another example of why Monty, they can't then keep claiming sort of like, but these bloody teams, now, now teams, stop spending all that money. Wait a minute, you selected all the people who are in the LCS, you moron. You picked your partners. So why didn't you pick people who said, I'm going to grow sustainably and not blow up the salary market? You well, picked all the people you wanted. The, the teams didn't have that choice either. So the, the back to the fat man analogy, the way venture capital worked was venture capital would give you a pie. So they hand you a pie and they say, here, take this pie team, but you have to eat all of the pie right now or you get none of the pie. Okay? Because they wanted you to spend all of the money that they gave you to focus on growth. So they they basically forced you to operate in an unsustainable fashion because then they, they say, we're going to give you another pie later. Don't worry, there's got to be more pie. And they would just buy up your company bit by bit, slowly, 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 but they wanted to push it for growth because that's what VC did. So it's not even necessarily the team's fault because if they didn't do this, they wouldn't be able to compete it's with the other It's also comparable. Team. Like, look, obviously the league is the one that enforces the salary structure aspect, et cetera. But if you don't know in the NFL, you're not allowed to just say, you know what, Monty, my team's pretty good so i'm not spending any more next year we're just going to save all our money like you can't you, you're only allowed to save certain amounts of cap and you have to eventually spend them like because the whole premise like you're saying is that's the area where people also don't understand venture capital they think of it as their own personal business in your personal business yeah you'd be smart to sit on a lot of your money and yeah, use it carefully you just eat a slice of the pie and then put in, the rest the whole of the refrigerator is, in this scenario as Monty said, they're not investing because they think they're going to make profit now. They're investing to have a very valuable asset that is a foot in the door of a market they want. So as Monty says, they want you to spend it all. So essentially what we did with eSports and the franchising system was encourage loads of businesses. Some of them were even quite well run, by the way, to become ladled, laden down with debt that they inevitably wouldn't be able to pay off and they would have to increase the amount of debt. That's why the whole focus now is what are the revenue splits or what are you doing for for us or you're gonna let us sell yep. skins because these teams right now are like literally if you don't open up revenue streams for me i'm done I, like i'm dead at this point in time because that's the thing when they they also implied the same thing monty they had the goal to sort of on the one hand be like they're the reason why esports got big but then you notice they sort of very carefully almost sort of like d dismissed the teams of sort of like but they're overpaying now almost it was almost that angle of like but then now it's gotten out of control it's like you created that scenario you, right. you created and, the incentive structure all that shit it, obviously, it wasn't just Riot, but by requiring the franchise fees, you know, but you might be you asking, you, know, you, might, you might be asking yeah. yourself, why did they require franchise fees if they're paying the teams $2 million per year? The, they intentionally created a barrier to entry to get more capital in the scene and to see who is really committed. So it's weird because, and by the way, that wasn't all upfront guys. They've been paying the franchise fees yearly. And that's what John Needham talks about is that for certain teams, they've been working with them to like reduce the fees. So some, a lot of these teams are still paying those initial franchise fees over time. Uh, that's true in Overwatch League as well. And, and that means that 
you know, it's weird because they're both giving and receiving money, but they did that in order to have the teams consolidate, to have CLG sell to Madison Square Garden, as Devin Nash discussed on the Four Horsemen, because they needed that upfront capital. So Riot was very deliberate in the way that they did this to get bigger fish into the pond, um, which is not a bad tactic, honestly. It's not a bad tactic, but it just hasn't worked out now. Thing is, I'm just uh, done with this thing, Monty. The term I will not allow in esports for the last five plus years is the word sustainable. Don't ever use that word unless you're talking about sustain in League of Legends in lane with items. Unless we're talking about that context, I don't want to hear the word because that <laughs> word has been tortured and abused so much, Monty. It is unrecognizable from the dictionary definition. Sustainable <laughs> is supposed to mean that it can sustain itself without like external things, for example. What they mean when they mean sustainable in esports, Monty, is I just want to lose a bit less <laughs> that's not sustainable that's why they say i want this is this is the best line of all time Monty. they go i want to be more sustainable no no you're either sustainable or you're not there's no more sustainable <laughs> it's, it's like um, you can either sustain yourself or you can't and by the way as you just explained what, what you've just explained about capital means that by definition you are not at all sustainable you take in someone else's money spend it then you have to go and get more money that is not in any context sustainable and yet riot has the goal to act like all they need is a slight tweak to the system and it all runs great it doesn't like the stupid <laughs> thing about this is yeah I understand the things you said in real life have obviously exacerbated this issue but this fucking song Damocles has been hanging for a long time. It was always going to drop. It was, there was always going to be this market correction. We we're always going to have to ask them to do things differently. We we're always going to have to ask for more of the cut of the pie. We're always, this was always coming, you know? Well, and that's why they headed it off in the past with Valorant and changed the model. Um, and oh, by, by the, the way, way there's guys, a really funny detail I want to throw in because obviously we're mainly going to talk about League of Legends here, right? And obviously that's the side we're talking about. But I also thought they absolutely shot themselves in the foot by making this about esports and not about League of Legends, Monty, because it allowed them to do the classic riot move. Remember the one where they bragged about the format changes, but they made themselves look silly because they simultaneously bragged about double a limb for MSI, but then how it would be like inappropriate for worlds. And that just doesn't make any <laughs> sense no logically, sense. right? So the same thing happened in this article, Monty. Like, you know, my favorite part was where they explained that games like League of Legends are like harder to understand than CSGO. Oh, we're getting to that. So then you took CSGO, the easiest to understand and, one, and, and weavified it into League of Legends, you <laughs> moron. You're back. That riot is so dumb. Like I say, just let them, let them speak right, enough right, and they will right, tell right, themselves. All right. I do think the Valorant model is good. All right, let's get into some of the details and kind of go down this article. No, I mean, the game, they made the game. Oh, I know. Experience. If you oh, like CSGO, by definition, what you like about CSGO, you cannot let's like read, in Valorant. That's the first part of the article. Okay, so let's start there. It, he says, Riot generally does not use esports as a way to acquire new game players. Yes, we know, Riot. It never has been about acquiring new game players for any esport, by the way. Esports aren't an effective way to do so because in order to really enjoy the competition, a viewer needs to have foundational knowledge of the game. Most traditional sports don't require much knowledge of the game to enjoy them. If you see a ball or puck go into a net or across a line, you know a special thing has happened that you should be excited about. I see people watching LOL Esports who have never played the game and they are absolutely baffled about what's happening on screen. Valorant is a bit more accessible, but it's still very fast with abilities going off all the time. So it can be hard to understand it well. So as you just said, Thorin, that's the core problem is that the Riot monetization model has made esports that <laughs> over time are progressively more hard to understand. I got involved in League of Legends when there were 30 champions in 2009. I can't imagine 
what it would be like to get it to start playing league with 160 champions now. They made their games, Valorant and League of Legends. And by the way, guys, Valorant is, in 10 years, Valorant is going to be just as hard to understand as League of Legends because the way they monetize is by introducing new champions, new agents in Valorant, new content, which makes the game exponentially more difficult to understand because with every release, there's new interactions with all the other champions or characters within the game. There's more particle effects. There's more things you have to know. And this ties into why younger people, especially in America, are not playing League of Legends anymore. And we'll get to that. By the but way, this, this is, this is oh, go on. No, but this problem, as you're saying, Thorin, the thing about Counter-Strike is Counter-Strike monetized through skins on guns. So it doesn't get more complicated to understand. Yes. This is why Counter-Strike is not exactly the opposite, because I think you do need a baseline knowledge. But if you are an esports fan, you can understand, understand Counter-Strike almost instantly, no matter what kind of esports fan you are. This is why it is the best game, guys. It is the most accessible game. It is the yep. easiest to understand. And I don't, in Valorant, even their skins are wacky as fuck. And you're like shooting dragons or sh some shit. And you literally, you are literally teleporting, doing fucking spies. <laughs> Flying around the map, stuff, like stuff going into totally outer space. Yeah, exactly. You know, throwing birds at people. <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, guys. And so while Valorant is easier to understand, it's only because it doesn't have 10 years of additional agents that they've added yet. Just give it time, guys. And so Riot needs, the point of this is Riot needs massive player bases in order to yep. actually have a, an esports audience. If you think about... There, there are there's like 150 million estimated monthly active users in League of Legends. And Riot has a party when they get a million of those people to watch it. That's less than 1% of their active player base. The conversion to esports is actually very, very bad for League of Legends. Um, so if you compare it to CSGO, especially in Western viewership, it has a much smaller, I mean, it still has a very large player base, but it has a smaller player base and it converts to esports viewers at a much higher level. So the, the other point of this is in terms of monetization, the people who watch esports are often the most hardcore players of the game because they're learning it to improve, they're playing it, they're watching it to improve. And these people are the whales. Riot knows that their highest spenders are likely esports fans. And this is the thing that keeps them stuck to the game and spending. And this is where they derive their revenue. It's That's the, the whales, part, though, Monty. This is the dishonest part about how they framed that article from John Needham. Notice how what he does is he immediately starts like every magician with misdirection, Monty. He starts out by explaining that actually esports doesn't bring new viewers to the game League of Legends. So he's already created a distinction between what you do in esports and people in the casual League of Legends player base, right? He's already tried to make a distinction between the two there. And he's even baked into it, essentially, the old riot refrain of like, we're doing esports for your benefit here. Because in this scenario, he's sort of saying we don't even get new customers. Notice what he doesn't explicitly mention, which must be true by his own logic. It keeps people in the game, though. And makes That's them what he spend. doesn't. And yes, this is the other thing I was going to get to. He then explains later with like T1 skins, I know it's to make it sound like it's for the teams. He explains how they could use the client to actually promote a specific skin to someone who might want to buy that skin. You've just said the quiet part out loud there, mate. 
The whole reason you did esports is because if League of Legends was just a game that came out in 2009, Monty, but it was just a game, it would have died like a decade ago now, half a decade. It would have never lasted this long. What kept it going, and you can ask any esports fan is, everyone knows you watch like fucking someone get a penter on Zeri and you're an ADC. You get an itch like, maybe I play a game and queue up. Now everyone knows famously you queue up and five minutes in, you're like, ah, oh, shit, this isn't what I expected because I'm not fucking upset and this isn't a pro game. And, you know, I was just watching, I was essentially like the kid dreaming of Michael Jordan. Exactly. Now we all know that, but that is a real phenomenon. I mean, the joke is that even works on me. Like after I watch a CSGO major, I think maybe I'll play a bit again. And I'll play and I go, what the fuck? I'm finished playing this shit game. So the key thing I think is they don't actually admit that people stay there because of esports. Hence why essentially esports is the lifeblood of League of Legends. They make it sound the opposite way around. Like esports is a parasite on the t back of this giant League of No, League of Legends wouldn't even be anything without esports. And then the other thing is, notice they already explain it there. Now they try to imply they can help like T1 sell skins. Your whole model from day one was get an esports fan through the door who would have quit League years ago if it was only about League, but he stays because he supports TSM or he watches LCS. Right. Then later you sell him a skin, in this case a T1 skin, but let's be real, for the rest of history it was a different skin that you made all the profit for. So you've just explained how esports makes you directly money in the game on non-esports material. That's the whole mechanism. That's the whole fucking secret formula. That's all we need access to in the esports industry. And just like you, Riot, we can take one set of money and put it on top of another in a big pile in a vault. If we have unlimited <laughs> money as well, we can do that. The point is, we don't have the unlimited money. So I thought this whole thing, even the way it was framed, was almost to make you not ask that question and to not notice that, like, obviously esports is the best ever marketing campaign for a video game well, in history, as far as I can tell. Here's another gem they dropped, which is that three of the top six selling skins of all time are esports skins, which imply that they're world skins. Right. Are. Yeah, imagine everyone buys as soon as that shit comes out, of course. They don't say which ones they are. It would be interesting to learn, but I'm sure they're they're probably like, just given the fact that esports was more popular in the past, they're probably like skins from, you know, 2013 T1, maybe Type A Assassins, like the first year, because that was, that was the first year that he did skins, because that was a very, those skins were really nice for the time and had a lot of hype behind them. But, um, and have also have obviously had longer, timelines to sell but also probably some of the chinese skins like ig skins probably oh, sure. did very well given the chinese market um so yeah i mean there there's i would love to know what those skins are but we're not going to do that or we're not going to know that so basically john needham then goes into a pretty good explanation honestly of riot and teams of mutually beneficial partnerships so he talks in 2017 they started the franchise system they paid in he says in order to pay the 10 million entry fee, professional teams had to raise significant capital from investors. At the time, there was a lot of hype around esports, which helped the teams acquire cash at a very favorable valuation. This is all true. With an abundance of cash, teams could pay their partnership fee and also afford to sign the best pro players to high dollar contracts. This resulted in player salaries growing at a much faster rate than revenues. And as a result, pro teams' cash reserves were quickly depleted. He does make it sound that it's kind of like the team's fault, but the teams were in an arms race at the time with each other. And also, again, the, the ex expectation of that investment was to spend aggressively to create growth. So it was con it's it's not that the teams necessarily had a choice. Um, they were being pressured by their own investors to spend that money very quickly. So essentially, they say Riot feels a tremendous obligation to our professional teams questionable in my opinion and we're working hard to support them financially through this challenging time they say they by the way what the you revenue. just said there is exactly why this whole blog is nonsense it's just it just shows that you can say anything 
I mean, there's yeah. no one to go. There's no one to go. Wait a minute, John Needham. I mean, what we're eating? No, there's no one there. He just keeps to get going. Goes, and we're also have the biggest dicks in the world, and we're just really charming and smiles. As <laughs> everyone write their own reviews. Go on. <laughs> so yeah, um, and they talk about the revenue share that we already talked about. But then they say something interesting, which is that understanding the challenges of team business. When we started thinking about the Valorant Champions Tour (VCT), we wanted to decrease the capital required to teams to enter the esport and create a partnership model that fully aligned teams with Riot in developing the esport. In their partnership model with VCT, pro teams don't pay Riot directly, but instead maintain their slot by investing in marketing activities, producing content for broadcast, activating their fans around VCT events, and supporting their pro players. In this model, Riot pays the pro teams a fixed annual stipend, a percentage of digital sales for esports content, prize pools for participating in our competitions, and incentives for incremental marketing activities above the basic requirements. Essentially, we want the teams to use their capital on pro players, marketing facilities, content community, and building their business rather than paying Riot. For what it is worth, I think this model is very good. Okay, so Riot did stumble upon something. And to, to break this down for you guys, what they're doing for VCT is they haven't locked franchise. It, it is a promotion relegation system, but they will pay you, say, a million. They selected their partners. They say, we're going to give you like a million dollars. I think it's $900,000 for the North American team, something like that. And... You guys, so they give you a leg up to pay for your team. But if somebody in the in the promotion system comes in and wants to spend a lot of money to try and get into the tier one league, they can do that and maybe they'll succeed. So they give people advantages, but they keep you kind of on your toes. And also about this model. So you guys have probably noticed that especially on LCS, they've started taking like teams, YouTube videos and inserting them into the broadcast uh, during breaks. And because the teams like that and it helps promote their teams and, and portray the team brands in a way that the teams like, well, what they're doing in VCT is they're basically paying the teams additional money if they're doing a good job marketing, if they use their content on broadcast, if they get their fans to events. And by the way, guys, they have been selling in-game goods. And I think for the last uh, championship, Valorant Championship, they said they did between 40 and $50 million of sales of these esports digital goods, which they then shared with the teams. So this is way better, by the way. Um, and I think it properly incentivizes the teams to make good content that is popular and figure out their branding, which has been a massive issue in League of Legends. All of these teams, for the most part, have garbage brands that they never bothered to develop and they were never incentivized. Well, I mean, I would argue they should have always been incentivized, but not now they are more directly incentivized to develop their brands. The problem is, though, this is where, Monty, it's never as simple as, like, we did a good thing, it's just good, so trust us, it's good. Like, here's an obvious reason why people were fine initially with the franchise fee. Because everyone hoped it would be like LEC, and if you were a team where it's like, look, I don't want to keep raising capital, and, and it's not really going anywhere, then you just sell to the greater fool. All of a sudden, like Astralis tried to, you just try and sell your spot for 30 million. You've only spent, let's say, 10 million lifetime anyway. You didn't pay all the franchise fee, you maybe paid three quarters of it, and so it cashes out, you end up making like $20 million and you leave the sport, right? That's the good thing about the franchise fee. So the problem with this is this, Monty. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a franchise fee in Valorant, which means I also don't have a permanent spot, which means also it's very easy for Riot to take my spot away because I didn't pay anything for it. And I can't right. sell anything. 
Well, here's the problem, right? That was one of the only ways currently you could actually make money in esports. Instead, by not having that option, you're just trapped in the riot death spiral where they don't ever die, but you all die. Essentially, here's the analogy. What Riot does with all the franchise games, it's even worse with VCT, is they're the beginning of the Dark Knight Rises and they're Bane, and then you, Cloud9 Jack, you're the guy who goes like, but Riot, can I come with you when you exit the system? And he goes, sorry, Jack, there needs to be a body in the wreckage, brother. The fire rises. And then he goes off to Valorant, or they make it Reggie in this analogy, and then Reggie just dies in the plane crash and with LCS or whatever, you know, like that's what they're doing because that's the problem I have with that model, Monty, is now your only way you're going to make money is if Riot actually provides a path. If they provide the revenues and the broadcast, because notice, by the way, as I alluded to before, they're trying to set it up that what's going to save everything is the broadcast rights, which equals their platform, which equals just let us be Twitch. And, you know, you know the way we did, definitely didn't abuse being a game dev? Let us be Twitch and we definitely won't abuse that. And then we'll just give you all the revenue you need. It's like, I don't know if I believe you, Riot. See that bit earlier about how, you know, fool me a billion times in a row and abuse women and I don't have to believe you? I don't believe you, mate. Just, just a bit cynical. Just a bit cynical, me. So here's, here's, my favorite, here's my favorite part of this entire article. You ready for this line, guys? One critical lesson we learned in the first decade of esports at Riot yeah. Games is yeah. we need to stop thinking about the esports business like traditional sports! Exclamation point. If people don't know, the first year of League ah! as an esport was 2011. That was season one. Do you know how insane that is to say that statement? That's a statement that if someone said in like 2006, I'd go, you're a little bit off the base, but well done. They're saying in 2023, and they actually no joke, if this was a real speech, they would pause for an applause break there, Monty. That's how bad these cuts are. <laughs> we, learned, telling you. <laughs> we learned in 12 years that this is different it's than traditional. So I can't handle this line, guys. And that, no. By the way, you have to confirm this, Monty, because people won't be as old school as me. You know the stories back in the day from inside Riot HQ in America. Is It was all about it being like the NFL. Oh it was yeah! All, everything was everything they was justified by the NFL. Does it like shut that? Shut up about it. Yes, they wouldn't shut up about it. They they were like, well, I'm a big NFL fan, so I know what's going to be good for esports. By the way, it wasn't that these people worked at the NFL; it's that they were fans of traditional sports and they they knew how to apply these things. So here's a here's a question for you, Riot Games. If it took you 12 years to learn this lesson, now John Needham, it wasn't your fault. You weren't here. Why have you not fired these people? Why have you not fired these people? Why did it, it, the real question should be coming down internally. Why has it taken over a decade for us to learn these lessons? Because there were plenty of examples from esports at the time this was happening in 2011, in 2012, in 2013, when you set up the LCS, when you set up your global system. And not only were there examples in other games, guys, there were examples in your game. League of Legends, OGN existed. OGN did not treat this like a traditional sport. You know what they did? Their biggest inspiration, and I can just tell you this from working with the producers, was professional wrestling. It wasn't sport, traditional sports. You, Caster, the, the famous guy who yells, Caster Jun, he was the, like, he comes from a, a wrestling background originally and transitioned into esports. The producers looked at WWE and the Japanese wrestling leagues and said, this is more aligned with what our fans want. And you can see that legacy throughout Brood War and throughout the times where OGN produced League of Legends. The shoulder content, the formats, everything like that, it was an entertainment product first. It was not a marketing product. And it certainly wasn't anything like the NFL. There weren't 
analyst desks on OGN broadcasts. That's the thing the West brought to OGN <laughs> or to League of Legends in Korea. That wasn't the way things were done when I was there. And so when we talk about this, it's like, of course, it's not going to work that way. And also, just in terms of monetization, you already had a model if you wanted to make this a sustainable product, which is the subscription model that was working in StarCraft and it was working in your game. I mean, dude, it's the best. You always make this point. It's even the most basic functionality of Twitch. You like the channel, so you subscribe and you get a perk. Like, yes. it's essentially encoded in the, the very premise of what makes esports big. People going on Twitch and watching contained, like Monty said, a way that they could actually pay for the broadcast. And they did in droves. They did. And Riot just came in and said, shut this down. No explanation needed and then left. Yeah, because because they they think they want the largest possible audience because it's a marketing exercise. It makes sense why they did it. By the way, that's the, a key point I wanted to bring up with you. There's another area where Riot pretends they learned a lesson now, but they didn't, Monty. They just they just weren't the ones that were eating the cost, right? By Riot's own logic, you know the story Richard always tells that the way that the Overwatch League got that insane $80 million broadcast rights deal, it was in part because one of the execs at Twitch was like friends with someone. Spoiler, he didn't work for Twitch for very long afterwards. But it also was because the claim was Activision Blizzard can just essentially hold us hostage and say all of our games will be on MLG TV or whatever, TV. you know, our yeah. own shit basically, not on Twitch. And the point is, if you're Twitch, you don't want like StarCraft, Overwatch, all these games gone tomorrow. Hearthstone, all the, like, that would be a big hit. Well, imagine if Riot Games had done that, bro. Imagine if Riot Games in like 2017 came to Twitch and were like, look, unless we get the greatest broadcast rights deal of all time, we're just making either our own shit or we're going to another platform. Like, we're the first ones on one of those other mix or where that came along. If they'd have done that, that would have been in a massive well, power play. But, but the reason but Riot didn't do that, Monty, here's the key thing. The reason they didn't have to do that and force their way out is because, one, this article explains it here, they run off raw eyeballs. They need the viewership to go up. If you change platforms, viewership will go down. And then Secondly, they weren't eating a, a massive cost to them. It's the teams that lose the money. I, I have, Sadly, I'll very quickly explain this because if you don't come from CSGO, you don't have the, the blueprint for this. Esports works like this. You essentially have four layers of people in a hierarchy. At the top of the pyramid is the game dev. They are God. They own everything and can do anything they like unless you have enormous wealth and can take them to court. Then is the tournament organizer. Now, this is tricky in League because Riot saw of is the tournament organizer and the game dev. But in CSGO, it's easier because obviously Valve's the game dev that make the money off the game, but then ESL's the tournament organizer. Now, here's what's unique. In games like CSGO, where the tournament organizer is distinct from the game dev, the tournament organizer is where you start to lose and bleed loads of money. Because if you're ESL, you just pay for all these tournaments. You pay for all these... If you put on majors, unless you're from Romania and just make one guy do five people's jobs, you lose money doing majors. Like, it's just cost burn. You're doing a loss leader report to have your spot in Spots. Then comes the team org, Cloud9, Navi, whoever you want it to be, Ents, could be anyone. These team orgs, unless, by the way, they are, like I just said, Ents, a small company that just is in the game killing it, they all lo they lose the most money of anyone in the ecosystem relative to their size. The team org just bleeds millions of dollars into these players while getting back revenues that are like a tenth of what they're paying for the players. They're getting back, like I say, they're not sustainable, they're just bleeding out slower. Then you have the pro players, right? Are you ready? 
already the pro player is the other person after the game dev who makes insane profit and has a license to print money. Because all he does is sit at a PC and play a video game and people in league pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes a month. And they're not, that's not even hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're making off him. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars just to pay him to make them $10,000. And then at the bottom is the fan. And you know what the best part about being the fan is? You don't lose money because you don't pay money. You just sit there and get it all for free. And then the problem when we have these discussions is people think these things are conflated. They think that if like Cloud9 loses money, then Riot must be losing money. They think that if the pro players making money, like Bjergsen makes millions, that means whoever pays him must make millions and millions and millions X times. No, like it's actually a very weird ecosystem in that space. Because I always say this point, I'll tie it together like this. It's why the most inappropriate way to model esports is is actually Marxist fucking like labor concepts because the whole concept of Marx is the idea that a guy has a factory and he gets you to work as cheaply as possible so he makes all the money and because he owns the means of production like he's the game dev in the scenario it's his right to do it and that's what Marxism is the idea of like well the workers should join together and leverage their working force right in this scenario the workers and the game dev are the ones who make all the money they drag the money out of the scene like this from the fucking teams inside and the fans the money goes directly to the top of the pyramid to the game dev and tiny bits trickle down and then the game the team org pays the players remember it would be one thing if riot just ran esports monty and they owned the teams and they paid the players that would make sense actually why does no one ever mention that by the way that would actually be a sustainable system the game league of legends makes billions of dollars we pay bjergsen two hundred thousand dollars because having top players keeps people playing there. that system even though it would be a nightmare would actually make more sense than the current esports model so if people are get confused it's why this whole thing's so weird because the way the reason you'll never hear the story i just told you is because it doesn't benefit the team org who was the one losing all the money to tell you that story yeah. one it makes it look like shit to the business world like women you just lose money out the ass and there's nothing coming in and then secondly you just piss off the riot games game dev who is the god of your game and then it, you know what then the fucking paddling goes two times speed, doesn't it? So at that point, talking about paddling, that's a paddling too. So that's a quick breakdown <laughs> yeah. of esports. And, and, and they don't they don't want to talk about this because it, it hurts them because it the, help the question here's the question that comes up, guys. Okay, let's say you're an LCS owner. Uh so you go back for VC right now. Remember, VC is very hard to get. And they say, okay, well, uh, we heard, let's pretend they know nothing. And they just heard a few years ago, oh yeah, esports is growing. And you're like, well, actually, we have half the viewed hours that we did in 2020 this year and you guys are paying what in salary so you're losing money but you have 50 percent of the viewership that you had three years ago do you know you that's even a, money that's even a part <laughs> that doesn't make sense about the esports model monty the joke is the esports model would almost make sense if it was like ufc like in the ufc i'm sure you know this it's not about how good you are it's about how many pay-per-views get sold when you're on the pay-per-view if your numbers never correlate this has happened by the way there's been boring champions that were just selling fuck all you don't get massive money from the ufc so the real problem in this scenario is it's like you're alluding to there because they have done a sports model they've done a model that's essentially agnostic to what year and what market it is, Monty. So I sign Bjergsen. I'll use him as an example because everyone knows he's a big name player. Let's say I sign Bjergsen for $2 million a year. But actually, in two years from now, Monty, on my five-year deal, it turns out esports has eaten it up the arse and the entire market's worth half as much. How does it make sense I'm paying him that amount anymore? Like, what was it ever based on, you know? Nothing. It was just based on well, also, mar market value. That was it. <laughs> also, the valuations might be down as well Everything because be. with declining yeah. viewership which means you would have to raise what's called a down round where you lower your valuation which is just brutal 
Um, so anyway, uh, let's let's keep going because he talks about this and he, he talks about how Worlds has been doing very well. This Worlds achieved the uh, a peak concurrent viewership of nearly 74 million fans. It's a huge um, average minute audience of 31 million. Like Worlds is doing well, guys, because it's going fine in Korea and China. This is a Western problem, to be clear, and specifically a North American oh, by the way, problem. That's also a problem, though, Monty, that no one ever talks about, is that when this thing began in 2013, Monty, it began with the LCS. And when it began with the LCS and Riot HQ are American, if people don't know, the whole thing was, right, if you are literally TSM, fucking CLG, eventually Curse became liquid. Obviously, eventually Cloud9 bought in the next split. If you're the big teams, this is the place to be for League of Legends. Even that was a false premise, Monty. Not only is this a weak region, but whenever these numbers get bragged about by Riot now, if I'm Jack, right, how does it help me that 10 million more Chinese people watch? I have no access to their money or yes. market. It doesn't matter. Also- What's mad about esports is this. I can be the biggest Western org, and I'm always going to be a bit player compared to like some org in League in China who only are in League. They're not even a proper like it's also such an upside down industry in that sense man it's also the world's viewership doesn't help north america because only you know three teams go right three four teams go and most of them don't even make it past the group stage if any of them do so it doesn't actually help you really um and even the korean teams guys are brutally hurting right now they are brutally hurting because korea now has the highest average player salary in the world of any league and the teams don't have very much money Um, So even Korea, despite the fact that, again, we talked about this on previous shows, they have, what, five times as much viewership this split as NALCS, but they're still in a rough spot. So basically, like they talk about how, you know, they've done a really good job at Worlds getting value for their sponsors like Mercedes-Benz, MasterCards, Tiffany, Coca-Cola. I believe this, by the way. The numbers are huge. They say we've successfully delivered five to seven X uh, our sponsors investment back in value, as estimated by Nielsen. This is all true, guys. There's no question that Worlds is killing it. Here's the the question, though, Monty. In every sport I follow, every good number is on, on screen and bragged about. This is the problem with this whole thing. He's pretending, Monty, that he's revealing what Riot think. But because, as you pointed out at the beginning, how much they actually make is the real key number that would change everything. He can never tell you that number. So even though the joke is, it's, it's counterintuitive, the number is too good to mention publicly because to mention it would give the whole game away and then the team orgs would be on their ass. So instead, he has to, on the one hand, even though in a normal spot you'd brag because you want people in, he on one, they're clearly doing great, but they're also not going to tell you as a result. So freaking right. weird, isn't it, if you don't know what we know and we also don't know the math so when he says we've successfully delivered five to seven x our sponsors investment back in value the question is is that are you measuring the success as if those 74 million are americans or are you measuring as if the vast majority of those 74 million people are chinese people or from southeast asia or people with less purchasing power than americans in which case have you delivered you know, you can have these global brands like Mercedes Benz and you can have this massive audience, but it's really different to have 74 million Americans versus 50 million of those people being from East Asia. You know what I mean? And so, like, we just don't know the answer to that because the obvious follow up question is if you are delivering five to seven X of, of value compared to sponsors with a similar audience, why don't you get more money? Why don't you get five times as much money? And so the only answer I can come to is either they're bad at sales or that it, that's not true or that number has been manipulated in a certain way. 
All right, I mean, by continue. the way, just the word value was the, is doing all the heavy lifting there, if you don't know. Yeah. If they had just said, like, direct conversion or revenue, like, we all know what value is such a dominant term. Re remember that Nielsen is an American company, so I have no idea if they have good Google's. analytics for Chinese viewers. Like, I, doubt I, I don't know. Um, what, and so here's the here's the one. The, one big hole in the esports business model compared to traditional sports is broadcast licensing revenues. The NFL, FIFA, NBA, and F1 make billions of dollars from broadcast licensing deals for their content, mostly on linear television. However, linear television is not and has never been a good channel for esports content because there is a fundamental audience mismatch. Most of Riot's audience isn't watching ESPN and Fox Sports. They're watching streamers on Twitch and YouTube. On the other hand, ESPN and Fox Sports viewers are generally not acquainted with our games, so esports are completely lost on them. True and obvious. By the way, I will just throw in there. If Riot at any point in time could have had a deal with one of those orgs that they themselves acknowledge, no one would watch it on TV. They would have done it and taken the money happily and laughed in the face of Fox Sports as they got no by, viewers. By the way, a la e broadcast right. In 2016, they announced a deal that was worth about $300 million with ML Bam. That never happened. They were going to stream exclusively League of Legends on the ML Bam platform. It never actually happened. So they did succeed in selling those rights. I don't think they got much, if any, money from that deal. And I think part of the problem was that I believe the ML Bam player was acquired by Disney. And so the deal was killed. But they were trying to find these broadcast rights back in the day. So what they say is, at Riot, we want to be everywhere our players are with content. And John Needham also stressed this in the interview with Travis. Esports are broadcast non-exclusively on Western streaming platforms. The business problem with this model in Western markets is due to a lack of competition and weak revenues from advertising. Streaming platforms such as Twitch and YouTube don't pay for premium content like esports. Here's the thing, guys. Why would they? Why would they? Why would Twitch and YouTube pay for them? Because esports fans, <laughs> you created this problem, Riot. We did have. We did have on OGN, when you subscribe for HD, we had 25,000 subscribers on OGN in 2013. Imagine how many you could have in 2016 when League of Legends was at its peak in terms of Western viewership. It could have been absolutely enormous, the number of subscribers you I've had. I've got one for you, Monty. Is, wait, 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 is let me finish. Go on. Let me finish. So when you, have, when you have this problem, so they say, oh, well, we don't get broadcasting rights deals. Yes, because you didn't incentivize people or require them to subscribe to the channels to watch your content. So compared to typical streamers that people subscribe to because they like, you created a system where fans felt entitled to the content for free, and then you didn't drive revenue to Twitch and YouTube. And then you wonder, at the end of the day, why Twitch and YouTube can't afford to pay you for broadcasting rights because you created a system that was based on marketing that didn't require the fans to pay and drive revenue to them. You made this problem, Riot. You made it. Here's the obvious question that John Needham can't answer. Why would Twitch or YouTube give any money to anyone in esports for anything? How does yeah, it make them money? Explain to me how it would make Twitch more money to just give, you, give you some of their money. If it can't, by the way, then spoiler, it's the same argument as to why Riot get to do everything they've done. They're the gods of the game. They have all the money and we just have to put our hands out and hope for a little bit of like tosses a fucking an arm to the poor every now and then. Like if you control something and someone else, that's why I brought it up earlier, Monty. Riot have godlike control over League. They could have taken all League of Legends off Twitch. If you don't think that would provoke a reaction, you don't understand the model Monty just explained. If you do that, suddenly it's Twitch that are the ones under the eight ball who are like, wait a minute, that's a massive amount of our viewership and our model is eyeballs watching. Like, you could actually have done that. So, like, the obvious question to John Needham is, 
What were you waiting for all these years, homie? Everyone was losing it out the arse. I can tell you, Monty knows this. From about 2016 on, people were losing it out the arse as team orgs. Like, people have needed these things, broadcast rights, for years. That's why, to me, the maddest thing, it's why I have so little sympathy for some of the team orgs in terms of when they complain. It's like, bro, it's been franchised since fucking 2018. You still didn't ever get on them to get this done. You never used your leverage of the... Because think about this, right? If you don't understand fans, let me explain leverage again to you. So in the same way as Riot can leverage Twitch, the team orgs, the day you franchise, can now leverage Riot. Because if they don't send their players to play an LCS game, there is no LCS. They themselves can immediately control LCS, but they've never done it. They've never once ever withdrawn their labor. They've never, as far as I know, they've had these meetings. But like we said earlier, everyone in league has to always think like, but Riot is good and I would never rock the button. So no, no one's ever been aggro with them. They just sort of like ask for more things. And over time, like this letter, you get a small concession, small concession, small concession. But it's never the fundamental change that levels the industry up, you know. And we yeah. could have done, like I'm saying, we could have fixed all this shit like 10 years ago, guys, five years ago at a minimum. But here's the, the most interesting part of this entire thing is coming up, Thorin, because they talk about how 40% of the Western viewership watches via embedded. This seems like an absolute lie. This seems like an absolute lie. Maybe of Western 40% is too high. It's too high. The problem with these stats, Monty, is we're talking about 40% of hundreds of thousands of people. No way. It can't be. It can't be. So they say with event drops and passes. They say 40% of our, as much as 40%. So maybe that was the peak. As much as 40% there of our go. Western viewers. You nailed it again. That was the part doing all the heavy lifting was as much as, which could mean, by the way, is it 1% or 40? But yeah, so going, when they well do done. drops, so they basically say that drops are very popular when the embedded Twitch or YouTube streams on lowlysports.com when you're logged in with the account. And so they also say something very critical here, which is we use drops as a way for our sponsors to virtually connect with our fans. And they provide digital codes from sponsors to viewers right through our broadcast stream. So you get in-game items, but they also want to push you. And here's what they're actually doing, guys. They are saying, we are not going to sell media rights because we and Twitch and YouTube have made it impossible. Collectively, they have made it impossible. And so what we're going to do is we're gonna sell to you guys, the fans. We are going to get you to use our platform, which by the way, in Travis's interview, John Needham says is not going to be exclusive. So they will actually still broadcast on Twitch and YouTube. But if you want to, on their site, Low Sports, they are going to use this platform. And what they're going to do is while you're watching the game, they're gonna give you little drops and then they're gonna push advertising codes to you and they're going to pop up on the stream and they're going to expect you to buy that shit. And that is how they are going to make money instead of providing broadcast rights that they sell. So the entire plan, in case you haven't figured this out, is to make you buy more shit. That's the plan. That's the whole of the plan. And whether that is buying these team passes that they talk about later or virtual tickets, at the end of the day, they expect the fans to pay. Now, they haven't expected this before. And the problem with this is that they created an environment where the fans expect everything for free. And now their one path to monetization is making fans pay more through sponsors, through direct, you know, these these digital items for the teams. And here's the real tell, Thorin. This was absolutely insane when I saw it in Travis's interview. John Needham specifically states, he says, he, he basically says, I'm not doing this word for word because I'm not listening to it. 
he says we don't he, he implies that they don't need broadcast rights and that he says that their core business is selling digital goods, which is true. And he says they're very good at selling digital goods, which is also true. So he thinks he says that digital goods sales, he is very confident, can be worth ready more money than broadcasting rights. Which immediately Next tells immediate you, sense, yeah. It will, but it immediately tells you that esports must be enormously profitable because he is saying that we are very confident we can sell hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars. That media rights would be getting us. We can do more than that by selling these digital goods, which implies that they make a fuck ton off of their own digital goods and esports, and that's where you really start to wonder what the real profit center of this esports is because he thinks it can be big. Now, he, maybe he's lying, but if he really believes that, then that's all the money that hasn't been shared with the teams this year, it, which it is was, crazy. It is directly implied if you look at the scale of the numbers and the years when they said these things that in CSGO, Valve has made billions of dollars off skins, billions of dollars. Not on any yeah. other aspect, not the game, not selling the $10 version of Campus when it used to cost money, not nothing else, just from, not from cases, just from fucking the skins and the, and I'm talking about the esports case, I mean, they're obviously, like, they're, just the skin economy has made them billions. Like, that's why it, people still don't get this, Monty. It's not, that's why League is a free game. Because this what they're selling is the fucking skins and the champions. They're not selling the game. That's where everyone's getting lost here. Riot's pretending quite cleverly, sadly, and it's working, that they offer the game for free to you, and then they allow Dominic to put his whole life into promoting the game, and then they allow Jack to get someone else to pay for players to play in their game, and at the end of it all, they go, you know what, we make a little penny or two from them skins. Do you want a couple? And it's like, that's all you do is sell the fucking skins. The whole thing was you just making billions and billions of dollars off skins. So like we never needed even the broadcast. You're correct. If you'd have ever shared from day one, everyone could have been making fuck tons of money. But they, they basically say that they never needed the yeah, broadcast. John Needham says they never needed the broadcasting rights because we can make more money selling these digital goods for you. So the question becomes, why weren't you doing this previously? The answer is because they could make 100% of this money previously where now they're kind of being forced to share it. I'll give you a great due to the question, Monty. If you never needed broadcast rights, and now you even know you're not particularly pursuing the Monty, wasn't the entire franchise LCS in bad faith? Since that was the whole model, the business. That's why people bought a $10 million slot. They thought one day you would sell this shit for. By the way, here's the saddest thing if you're an esports fan and you don't know the industry. When the Owl deal was done for $80 million, people who don't know the real reasons were like, dude, LCS is going to get an even bigger one. Like, it'd yeah. have to be like 150 million for LCS. Like, holy shit. Like, no, other way around. Like, no, nobody gets any of it. So, like, if I was the owners, I wouldn't want fucking John Needham saying that publicly. Like, bro, so, A, we never needed it. Then why have I got a $10 million slot? And then, B, you were just leading me on with the idea you were going to sell the broadcasters, but you never needed it anyway. By the way, here's a little rule in life. Don't ever do business with someone where their interests aren't actually aligned with your interests. Because, spoiler, they won't serve your interests no matter what they say. <laughs> they're just going to be incentivized to serve their interests. You actually need people, even if they're scumbags, where their interest is, if ideally overlaps perfectly with yours. Then even if they're a scumbag, what they succeed in helps you succeed. The problem here is, he has, I think you're saying, He's saying the quiet part out loud, which is we're not actually aligned in incentives with the teams. But if the teams do it our way, we'll give them a few more nickels. Right. And also because it's not going to be exclusive, 
you, it, it's going to be optional for fans. If they really, really wanted to do this to drive as much revenue as possible, they would make an exclusive streaming platform. But but they said, we want to be, John Needham says in the Travis interview, we want to be everywhere our players are, which again is a marketing exercise. He also says in the Travis interview that 12 p.m. start for LCS was better for European viewers because again, they care about total eyeballs. They do not care about- I'll, I'll throw something in for American you American eyeballs. Here's a mad thing I'm amazed has never been tried. I actually am genuinely amazed in esports. This concept has never been tried, Monty. Essentially, why don't they do with Twitch the same concept of the freemium model of League? You know, in League, the game's free, except it isn't because to get all the game, you essentially have to put your entire life into the game to grind for the uh, to the points to get the champions, right? In the same concept, bearing in mind, all of esports runs on like total amount of hours. Why have they never made to feature Monty, where if you grind viewing league on Twitch, it's like getting us, it's like you get a sub, as it were, after enough hours. That way, you would just get people to routinely just milk all these hours. Very into, good I, point. I think that, that even Twitch would benefit from that, man. I think that would even be a good angle. That's actually a smart idea. Because think about it, then you just encourage people to watch more. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Sports. It's a good idea. Not bad, eh? Yeah. Um, but yeah, here, here's their, here's their hypothetical of things they'll do in a, uh, you know, on this platform. Imagine a pro player in a competition chooses a champion you play in league because remember, it's linked to your account. So it's, if it's your main, let's say, boom, we send you a prompt through the watch platform to buy a skin you don't own for that champion. Do you guys like pop-up advertising? I'm sure that's going to be really thrilling for you. Another hypothetical example is when we see that one of our players watches every T1 match but hasn't purchased the T1 fan pack, which includes an in-game T1 emote, a special T1 summoner icon, and the T1 fan pass, granting them access to a special chat channel with other T1 fans and the team directly. By the way, guys, if you haven't figured this out, this requires the teams to spend money to support the fan pass because they are going to have to create community programs with staff, with community managers in order to deal with this. They have to decide, do we want to give uh, our fans access to the teams? Does this mean if you have the T1 team pass that you're going to be in a special Discord server with Q&As for the players or other team members, right? So this all has to come from the team. So they are also saying the teams are going to have to spend additional money to provide value. When this player logs in for the next T1 match, we promote the T1 fan pack with details on how the revenue will be shared with the team. Anyway, do you know the saddest thing about that is I thought the same thing you did, which is even though, by the way, that is actually totally appropriate application of the date you have. Like, yeah, obviously, like you say, you don't want to tailor it. You want a T1 fan to know about the T1 skin. I'm just imagining, though, that I'm the T1 fan who doesn't want that skin. And I'm, yeah, you're right. I'm a fan of T1. I always watch Faker's stream through the thing. I'm watching all the games. I've got all the other skins. And obviously, at this point, I'm the one who's chosen not to get that specific skin Monty but every fucking time I log in it's like you want that skin hey remember the V1 skin like even though I'm in, I'm just the outside of this I imagine way, how here, annoying that would here, get here, Riot in this example here is actually the best way you can make money can I please have an option can I please have an option where I pay you money and I don't have to interact with T1 fans can I go to a special chat room where there yes. are no T1 fans where I don't see the trucks where I don't see their ridiculous whining and yep. terrible behavior. Be so if you can actually provide me an experience without T1 fans, that would be fucking amazing. I will pay top dollar for that. Yes. Um 
All right. So it, it says digital content is some of Riot's digital esports content is some of Riot's best selling game content. Three of the top six selling LOL skins of all time are esports themes. So they go through this, talk about how they've had success in Valorant, but they also say they can't do skins. Again, it's not can't, it's won't. You could make a skin, you could make a Lucian skin with a different chroma for all of the hundred different professional teams in the world. You just don't want to do that because you want to create really fancy skins like you do for worlds. So you could make skins for all of the teams, but you won't won't make skins for all the teams. Also, as people have suggested And, before, and let's be real, that would make, again, there'd be no downside, Monty. You would only make mad amounts of money from that. Like, right. if people don't know, this is one thing I didn't understand myself about skins. The ones who taught me about the power of brands on skins, Monty, was in CSGO when the COD orgs came in. Because when FaZe and G2, uh, not FaZe and G2, when FaZe and Optic came into CSGO, if people don't know, their teams actually initially weren't that good. They had teams that were, like, say, like, the 10th best in the world. But they would sell all the fucking stuff stickers and i remember being like but why their teams aren't good and they're not established in csgo and what i didn't figure out was this monty anyone who plays cod who also casually plays csgo he doesn't want the optic logo because he was a fan of naf or Tarek. he's a fan of optic from cod he wants in right. csgo to have the optic logo on his gun like it actually yep. makes perfect sense it's the same reason why even like i actually do follow football now but let's say like i was lapsed for like 20 years in like the premier league if there was a thing in the game where i could have bought a liverpool football like and i might have bought one just because i used to support them like that element is mad underrated like i agree with you if every team had access to these chromas even if by the way think of the same analogy that means that like the csgo fan who plays league he doesn't care about Cobby, but he might buy the astralis logo maybe he's a massive astralis fan maybe in league he wants the astralis chroma and the skins and all the icon that that would almost just again be a license to print money there's no downside to it unless you well, want to control also people it's also, again, just disingenuous because what Riot does is they just frame things in the weirdest ways. So you can say the down, this is literally it. This is the downside of having nearly 100 teams in our LOL esports ecosystem. Um, but here's the thing. Why do you have to do it for all 100? Can't you do it for just the teams that paid you franchising fees? What about just the ones in the top leagues, guys? Why, why, why can't we have a conversation about how maybe the Turkish teams or Brazilian teams or LLA teams don't need their own skins because they have invested less money. And well, the joke obviously is that Brazil now has higher viewership than the LCS. But no, in general, in the thing though, I definitely get your point because essentially their logic is that actually people in first class can't have better food because people in coach don't get it. <laughs> Like, yeah, exactly. Well, they pay more to be in first class, you idiot. I think they should get a better experience. That seems quite right. a, a break. You, you are telling me that some of that $10 million <laughs> yes. can't be used to hire artists to or have your artists make a skin for a team. Like, that just seems absurd to me. It's done in Rainbow Six, by the way. The team skins in Rainbow Six are super cool. Uh, super cool and very unique. Um, so basically, like they talk about how they can't possibly do it, even though that's clearly a lie. The answer is they won't do it, um, but they will do it in Valorant because there's only 30 teams. Again, I, I didn't make a global esports e ecosystem. I didn't force a Turkish league to exist. I didn't force a Brazilian league to exist. Riot was smart with Valorant, and they said there's one league for the Americas. There's one league for Europe and the Middle East, and there's one league for Asia. Okay. Now, yeah, you, you know, also... by the way, you, the point you're making there is a subtle one, though, Monty, which is that essentially, I don't know why it's never brought up. One of the best things that NA could do is merge with Brazil as a region. Yeah, you just bring I've all that viewership. That a lot. It, no, but I mean, it's just <laughs> it's mad that the team owners in NA don't care about it. Like, it would actually help you, you idiots. And imagine, yeah. by the way, if there was no import rules, you'd have even more players to access. Like, it actually, it's all, it's almost only upside.
unless you just want to worry Brazil, I guess. Like, you know. Yeah. And here's the here's the kicker. The line having the ability to sell esports digital goods and services directly to viewers will provide a scalable revenue source that should fill the hole left by a lack of broadcast licenses. My guy, you have never had a broadcast licensing deal at scale. You had one in 2016 with MLBAM that never happened. Why didn't you do this sooner? And again, the answer is only that they weren't getting, this is a way they don't get 100% of the digital revenue. And now they are being somewhat forced to. Then they go into live event revenue. So fandom next, virtual live event experiences. I don't know if this is some like Web3 metaverse shit, but basically a significant part of the traditional sports business is live event revenue from tickets, concessions, and merchandise. Conversely, live events for esports are not a big part of our current business. Another question for you, Riot. You sell out worlds in two minutes. Charge more for tickets. Boom. Done. By the way, that part is insane to me to this day. Is you know in real sports, it's like impossible to get a ticket. You know this. The cost of the tickets are insane in real sports. Like if you want to go to like a real sports game with a massive ticket, it costs thousands. I'm with you, Monty. Yep. Why? Because as you said before, the dumbest part about this approach, they don't address it in this actual explanation here, by the way, is the real person in esports you need to monetize is the whale. And they do the opposite, Monty. They want everyone in the world watching League to pay one cent instead of the whale to pay a thousand dollars. But we know the whale will pay the thousand dollars. In fact, he is the fry me like please take my money but they were like you can only spend your 10 cents like everyone else like they do the opposite model they've got it completely wrong <laughs> yeah and i mean they're right like you're right by the way literally the best seat at world should be like ten thousand dollars for real oh, yeah um fandom for esports is much more global versus you know city-based the virtual nature of esports doesn't require a big arena or a stadium for competitions and almost all of our viewers are watching online exclusively this leaves very few ways for teams to monetize their fandom through live events this is all true by the way this the what's funny is though if uh, this is literally an article every team doesn't want their investors to read because if yeah. you actually read it with the right eyes it sort of explains <laughs> why not only is esports not You're profitable like, but these hmm. are also the reasons why so exactly I can't sell concessions <laughs> i can't sell yes. tickets i can't sell merchandise i can't sell broadcasting rights but don't worry guys riot says that eventually we are going to replace all that revenue with digital goods that we've never sold before but because we're really good at selling okay. digital goods we're confident it will happen this and is basically way, a, an open letter from smaug to the people of Rivertown as to why they <laughs> need to really step their level up if they want to make some gold because <laughs> they believe there's a lot of gold opportunities to be made in the region but they're not quite you know doing their but, part of the moment but, but also but also like uh you know this gold <laughs> revenue stream is going to be unlocked in 2024 2025 and so I know you guys are like starving right now in Rivertown, but uh, it's coming. Don't don't worry about it someday. So that's why the owners are pissed, guys, because there's nothing that's being done right now. Because listen to this. We're building a virtual ticket program that will both enhance the fan experience watching our events online and also generate revenue. Starting with Worlds 2023, Riot will test a new product that bridges online and IRL fan engagement. Oh, Let's gosh. call it the virtual pass. Wow. The primary goals of the virtual pass are to give fans one, a rich online world's viewing experience. Two, a bundle of products and services at tremendous value. Three, more ways to express their fandom and excitement. Our additional goal, support esports teams revenue. So it'll feature a bundle of digital products, world skin exclusive variants, in-game event pass, plus some exclusive content, unique physical products, exclusive world's merch, which I guess they send to you, and physical and digital goods from our sponsors. Honestly, sounds good. 
in 20. So, but, but, but again, guys, this is world 2023. What happens if you're an LCS team now that needs money now? Like, when is this coming to local leagues? Like, it's great that it's happening for Worlds at the end of this year. But guys, that's that's in fucking six months. And you have to make it to Worlds to unlock this revenue. It doesn't, this only helps the teams that go to Worlds. 80% of the Worlds teams are not even going to be there. So where's the money now? So, so they say that this is happening. And in 2024 and beyond, we want to expand the event, the offering in LOL Esports and introduce virtual pass to VCT. Again, this sounds good. Like if By you have way, a good, here's another way to model it, Monty. It actually does the opposite of what they're pretending. They're pretending this additional revenue stream allows you to be more sustainable, right? As you just explained, you essentially have to in the game compete to get access to it, which means you're incentivized to spend more money on better salaries on better players to get the spot. In which case, if you spend you more, have to get to worlds to get it. Which means you will <laughs> spend more money to get a little bit more back. How does that ever work out? Like you actually might end up spending more than you get back off this yeah and because by the way think about it logically this actually means in theory you should do what steve did you should make a super team to ensure you get there so you can activate and here's here's at the end it says we're intentionally building this virtual pass in a way that we can have team specific versions with team branded virtual and physical goods and maybe even pro team room access i assume that means a camera within their in the room um during the matches exclusive chat channels with pro teams and the ability to interact with the players again this requires the teams to do additional things and spend more money in order to create these systems. If we design this product right, it will deliver a great it will deliver great experiences and connect fans with their favorite players and teams while simultaneously creating a new revenue stream for teams. I mean, it's possible that it does this. Like again, the idea sounds good, but it's so light on details and with no real timeline for implementation. Notice they said they're going to start it with Worlds in 2023. They don't give a timeline for putting this in the LCS or the LEC or LCK or LPL, right? We don't even know if that's going to be 2024. What if it's 2025? How are these teams supposed to survive without this plan? Because without the details, which they don't seem to have, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And that's the problem is it's all theoretical. And yeah, they could have their own streaming platform, but is it ready to launch yet? Like, why hasn't it launched already? Why is a multi-billion dollar company taking so long to design a, a non-exclusive streaming platform? By the way, I just want to make one thing clear here. When Monty says John Needham wasn't here at the beginning doing all this stuff, let's just be real. The way he wrote this message that he put his name to shows he is one of them, Monty. He is disingenuous. He will frame things in a way where he knows you will take the wrong conclusion, but it's the one he wants you to take from it. He doesn't actually address the real problems. He doesn't essentially tell the truth in most scenarios. He just doesn't overtly lie. He tends to just omit the truth. So he's not maybe as bad as the worst ones at Riot, but he's definitely more on their side, tipping over to their end of the equation. Yeah, I mean, they also have had plenty of things. I mean, they they even reference uh, the international's pass in this article as a way for generating revenue, which is another thing that people have wondered why. <laughs> By the Riot way, here's what's amazing, Monty. Here's what's I mean, amazing kind of about saying that is, do you know, one of the first internationals to start popping off insanely with like the crowdfunding was in 2014, bro. 2014. <laughs> that was one year after LCS began, and he's talking in 2023 about a pass. How far behind are these folks? That's the worst thing about them, like I say. They're not only so far behind, but then they always pretend they invented the wheel when they finally catch up and start using it. It's so dumb, isn't it? It's so dumb. It's always the same MO, same playbook every time. Yeah, again, like, 
it's a lot of this. John Needham wasn't around for this. Like he was a more recent hire to lead this division. But the question is, why hasn't he just cleaned? If he recognizes that these problems existed, he should have cleaned the house in the esports department. I don't understand way, why. You know, you know this, Monty. In in real sports and things like TV networks or like sports, if people take a big gamble, like Riot's done many times, that like you take a broadcast rights deal or you do the, if it doesn't work out, you almost certainly get fired. That's just standard. Like you essentially gambled all the company resources on one approach that was failed and brought all the numbers. You just get fired and you get fired, by the way, publicly, like you're saying, to make like a public mark of like, right, this was the guy responsible, but don't worry, we've got rid of him. You're even communicating that your investors sort of like, don't worry, we're taking care of it. And we're good. And that, because it, it was him who had the idea, he's gone. So that ain't going to happen again. Riot never does that ever. Everyone who's shit, just like the, the joke of Riot is you really do get, you just fail upwards. You just get an even better job. Like half of the people who were shitting Riot Games for League and how in Valorant, unironically, they're just in Valorant doing their shit again. It's like these fucking demons just never end. Well, it's also hilarious too because um, in the in the Travis interview, they talked about, you know, Jackie Felling's retirement as, you know, stepping away from being commissioner. I didn't know she ever began being the bloody commissioner. I thought she was still in the, thought she was doing a warm-up lap still. Fucking hell, love. When did you ever post anything as a commissioner? You were just on Reddit all day. You're just a fucking Redditor. So so she should have so, the. They, here's, here's what I want: petition for Jackie Felling to get an LCS commissioner immortal on Reddit, because that's all she ever was—the commissioner on Reddit. <laughs> there you go. I, I think, but he asked her about who. Uh, he asked uh, Travis asked him about who would be the future commissioner, and he basically said, "Well, we're evaluating you know, internal candidates in order to take over that role, and we have, you know, I." He said, "I can't imagine." that there would be an external candidate who could match up with the experience of our internal team, which again says that- 100 years of experience, technically. <laughs> but it's like, it's you like- are you, basically Monty, says, are you 201 years old? Then you can't possibly be the commissioner. <laughs> they mean, got us, they got us again with the affiliates. <laughs> you can't imagine, you can't imagine that there would be somebody else outside of Riot. And remember, he's talking about the people who made all of these mistakes, right? And by the way, objectively, I am more qualified to be the candidate of LCS than any internal candidate at Riot because I've been a commissioner and I've been in esports for longer than any of those people. I've literally done these jobs. Now, of course, they're not going to offer me that job. And of course, I'm not going to apply and I don't want it. But I'm just saying there are objectively many, many people outside of Riot, who have been in esports for longer than anyone has been at Riot, who have more experience and are more in tune with this shit. Remember how Jackie came in and changed the broadcast this year? Well, we all miss Dash. She was the one who made the broadcast much more compelling creatively, and she led that team. So you literally just had an external candidate that fixed a bunch of the bullshit that everyone previously within your company had insisted we be like traditional sports we do this with the broadcast she made a much better content she made much better content with the broadcast than had been for years in the lcs and she was an outside she was an external candidate so i thought that statement was also just outrageous i thought it was outrageous <laughs> the the answer is is that here's here's what they they don't want they don't want to hire an outside candidate who might introduce new ideas and they don't want to they don't want to pay a premium. Why do that when they can just shift the work on to somebody else that they don't have to raise their salary or do a minimum, sal you know, increase in their salary within the LCS? That's why. So hilarious. Hilarious. Now, I know this has taken a long time, guys, but 
you know, sometimes we have to serve you the medicine. It may not have been the most chill way to start your 420 with all the yelling of this article, but this was the only place we were going to be able to discuss this honestly. And we've already had Power Spike and Best Damn League show this week to discuss a lot of the gameplay that has occurred. Guys. What's Monty? So, it is 420. And there is there a way go. that people could, you know, sort of chill out chill after out. this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Especially chill out, you know, bring the temperature down a little bit. Like if they if they feel like they're getting too hot under the collar and getting irritated at all this riot bullshit and they don't want any of the smoke, then what they could do is use a freeze pipe at thefreezepipe.com code LFN for 10% off. Because what you do is you just take the food safe glycerin chamber, you put it into the freezer for a mere hour, <laughs> and after an hour, your smoke will be cooled. It won't annoy your throat anymore. You'll just get to enjoy the nice part. Parts of smoking, as I've often said, make your cannabis experience into a cannabis experience. <laughs> the freezepipe.com, 10% off with the code LFN. Yep, that's right. Your low swag, 360 low scope, MLG, all the other things from 10 years ago. That's right. And some of you guys, you know, it's too late to get it for 420, but you're using your nasty old bongs or pipes right now. Get a clean new piece of glass. Treat yourself. Um so, yeah, sorry. Again, guys, we didn't this know way, that. Here's the thing, Monty. Despite what people might claim about certain advertising categories, actually, the oil rigs that they sell on Freezepipe are the kind of oil rigs that maybe do belong in esports, evil geniuses. That's straight fire. <laughs> so go look that one up. That's pretty good. Go look that one up. Go look that one up. That's very good. That's there very good. Go. Not yeah. Chev Hashtag not Chevron. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so... Yes, that's thank you guys for supporting us. You really have been uh, you really have been crushing it with the freeze pipe sponsorship. So and also, by the you. way, to actually tie it to a more serious point, this is why, by the way, the LCS is garbage and makes fuck all money because two esports boomers with zero production value just made an ad that was about a thousand times better than anything that ever appeared on the LCS and made you <laughs> way more likely to buy the product. I bet I bet you uh, we've sold we've sold more freeze pipes uh, than they did. Uh, I don't know. What, whatever. Any sponsor on the LCS <laughs> signups. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. Mate, we've made more money for fucking bongs and esports than fucking broadcast talent work. That's straight fire. If you think about the other meaning of bong, that's fucking amazing. If you know Brit bong, I'll just give you. I'll serve it up for you. There you go. There. There's the spoiler. It's pretty good though. Go on. Keep going. Uh, okay. So thanks guys. Uh, we can talk about some games now. I, I do need to chill out. So this was a good break. And again, that lasted a really long time. So thank you for bearing with us. We are trying desperately to inform you about what is going on to fight the tide of, of riot PR. By the way, I'm actually going to start doing, you know, Richard obviously doesn't, but the problem in his is he can never be on Reddit, right? I'm actually going to start doing more than myself. Like, cause I've realized, even though to me and you, it's easy, dude, there's actually mad value to people when you sort of just break down a statement. Like they oh, don't yeah. really know all the weird elements. Cause you have to know all the behind the scenes, like fucking inside baseball jazz, don't you? So I'm actually going to start doing more of those. I know it's not like super high effort content, but it actually is necessary. I agree. You need people to sort of translate it for the people. Yeah. And if you don't know the specific problems that exist in the industry or Riot's history, like you might be newer to the game or not, you know, fully paying attention. We do try and do that. That's the, the power of Last Free Nation. That's why you guys should subscribe to us, by the way, on all of our platforms. You know, follow us on our podcast platforms, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever podcast you use. Subscribe to us on, you know, follow us on Twitch. Subscribe to us on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. So we can tackle some of these industry issues. Thank you for for listening to it. We do we do appreciate it. We know it's not the most fun. Well, you guys probably like watching us rant. That's uh, honestly us being salty is probably at least fifty percent of why you watch this show. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I guess in summation, I hope Riot's right. 
I do. Like, I'm interested to see what they come up with with the digital content. I'm interested in their platform. This could be very good because obviously with Twitch's monopoly basically on the infra the, the esports infrastructure, we do need disruption and competition in order to challenge them. It's been a massive problem. And at the end of the day, it's not just a riot problem. It is a combination of the, you know, the lack of competition with Twitch and YouTube, um, Riot being incompetent, and then also the teams, you know, spending like drunken sailors and putting themselves in this position. So everybody is kind of at fault here. Also, as we discussed on the Four Horsemen, the insane neglect of value for advertisers. Like, I'm sure the, the, the advertisers at Worlds get value, but the teams have done, for the most part, a really bad job of supporting advertisers and the, so of the leagues, the local leagues to a certain degree. So that is, it's, it's a perfect storm of bullshit that's happening right now. And everyone deserves a share of the blame, not Riot. And I do, I think at least Riot appears to be doing something and this could be very good. It, it all depends on execution. We don't know. It could be very good. But when is it going to happen? <laughs> not soon enough for a lot of teams. And here's the other factor, Thorin. I actually don't think Riot cares about the teams. I, I think they are not concerned with what is happening right now because in their eyes, they are seeing consolidation of the teams like CLG and NRG basically merging into one entity. They're seeing FlyQuest be purchased uh, by a different traditional sports team owner. And they're seeing, you know, influencers come into the LEC and start to be part of this. So they probably think this is all a good thing. Like they probably see this as some sort of, you know, capitalist Darwinism of when you know, they, they think that you know when those articles, when they do those Forbes valuation articles, Monty, I will guarantee you Riot reads those as if that's actually the money those teams are making, not just like an imaginary. They're like, oh my, TSM's one. I knew we did a good thing making the LCS. Like, I agree with you, mate. Like, to me, this is where Riot always give the game away, but then somehow they put the fucking genie back in the bottle. It'll always, I know it's because you just you guys are just plebs, but I don't know how they do it. Like, that Mark Merrill statement, which actually spawned the whole thing where the team owners forced the LCS, that is their real opinion on team orgs which is essentially yes. you're just here to make me money you're so why are, why aren't you making me even more money but sir i'm losing money no 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 you couldn't be you're in my magical riot games paradise now give me more of your money that's actually who riot games is guys and then the thing they did to dom that's what they think about the rest of the scene that you guys naively think that they give emily rand a job on the lcs because they really appreciate that she's dedicated like her whole adult life to watching league of legends studying league of legends like essentially like modeling the way League of Legends works as a meta, as a git. No, no, they do all that stuff, by the way, because they actually think like she, like essentially they're doing her a favor. They're like, oh no, you know what, Emily? We're actually very happy that you've been allowed to dedicate your whole adult life to almost no money from us. So you know what? We're going to pay you a salary now. Come on the broadcast. Like, they don't give a fuck about anyone in this space, mate. That's why the clever thing they'll do, and I'll give them props for this, is they hire people like John Needham. Because here's the thing. If these things came out of the mouth of the Mark Merrills of the world, you wouldn't even get through the PR statement. John Needham knows how to make it sound like it's actually good. He actually makes all... If I didn't know it myself, Monty, some of that shit, I would get tricked on and go, oh, maybe, you're not. maybe they are. Maybe they do think it's good now and they are changing their mind and they understand the importance it's like no but his job is to make it seem like they do 
Because I don't <laughs> like as we've said, by the way, you can rewind the whole thing. They were always making so much money, it was ridiculous from the game and the skins that essentially the whole thing should always been about can we get some of it? But instead they tricked everyone with this whole side detour of it's a bit like sports and there's a broadcast rights and there's the buy-in and, and that was all just some fucking shit for the last five years that in the end we've come all the way back to like, yeah, it turns out actually if we just gave you more share the skins, we all make money. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Oh, thanks for that. I was just about to lose my ass. But yeah, yeah, fair it was, enough. Yeah. It was a mirage that they told you. It was like, hey, yes. guys, there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And then it took a long time to walk to the end of that rainbow. They're like, don't worry, there's a pot of gold. Oh, shit, there's not a pot of gold. Uh, it, well, There's going to be a pot of gold in uh, two years, guys. Don't worry about it. Well, there's a new rainbow. Don't don't worry. So we'll, we'll see, I guess. But not to be trusted. Um, there's also some leaked news, uh, that looks like according to Berserker's stream, by the way, Thorin, that LCS may oh, by be. By the way, one thing I'll just throw out there, because I actually want to do this. Here's what we'll do, Monty. I did learn one thing from Richard, though, about Riot that does work, which is if they ever claim something themselves, Monty, and you hold them to it, you can actually shame them into doing what you want. So the classic <laughs> example actually is Jensen. If people don't know when Jensen was incarnation, when they banned him for life, the intention was he was banned for life. And that and it was essentially just sweep him under the carpet. You never have to worry about him again. But what people realized, including the person who became his agent, was, wait a minute, but they claim they have a rehabilitation system in League, though. So all they did, I'm going to give you the secret sources, they just kept going to Riot over and over again and going, right, what else does he have to do? And Riot would do all that nonsense jazz of like, right, you've got to write like a letter about you're sorry, and you've got to have so many months without it. And so what they did, though, and so how clever these guys were, was they just kept doing it. They just kept doing it and then coming back and going, right, we did it. We did the six months, so now what? And then Riot, because they were going like, well, fuck, I didn't expect him to do it, so I guess do this other. And then eventually what happened was, because it was the right person as well with Cloud9, they were able to get him unbanned and he was able to come back and he was able to have this broker here. Essentially, you should do something like that. So here's, I'm going to spin it the other way. If we're wrong, Riot Games, if we're wrong, John Needham, then you won't have any problem accepting an invitation to the Four Horsemen to discuss this topic with us in depth. <laughs> <laughs> balls in there your you court homie <laughs> yeah and there won't be do-over interviews yeah. like you've had in the past it's and live you, can you can't do it we're like fucking Bill O'Reilly we just do it live fuck it I'll, I'll also I'll also ask him a very important question which is that if all if Riot has such insane internal candidates to promote to new positions like commissioner, why did they hire John Needham an external person instead of promoting an internal person to be global head of esports hmm why did they hire you, John? Uh, big question. <laughs> so anyway, as I was saying, to move the topic, uh, we did hear on Berserker's stream, he, he, he implied or leaked that LCS may be opening up or Riot may be opening up up to three import slots uh, for the coming year of League of Legends. So basically teams will now be potentially allowed to have an additional import player on their roster, which of course is only going to benefit North American teams. <laughs> Maybe some Chinese teams will have three Koreans. You I fans and team orgs genuinely didn't just spend the last five years gaslighting me that it was all about developing NA talent. And now you're going to ensure oh. that you're eligible to use less NA talent. It's, it's even better. In the Travis interview with John Needham, Thorne, you ready for this one? John Needham says that all 10 teams in the LCS voted to abolish the requirement on having a challenger league team. And so they are no longer going to be forced to field Academy rosters because they cost, you know, 500,000, which was a, a key component a of the franchise. And remember that you had to have Correct. one. Yeah. Correct. So now 
as of next year, teams are not going to be able are, are not going to be forced to have these rosters. Now, I will say that a lot of the problem here is that because Riot makes the 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 challenger rosters be in California, it is much more expensive because of California payroll taxes, cost of living, et cetera, to maintain these challenger teams. Now, if they could live in Las Vegas, it would be a lot cheaper. Um, but Riot says, no, these people have to be in California, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they have to be employees of the team, et cetera, et cetera, because they are in California. Um, so that's been a that's been a big like point of contention between the team owners and the league. But also, this is an admission of defeat because the other thing John Needham didn't address in the interview was what Nade Shot said publicly, which is that young people in North America aren't playing League of Legends, which means that there is a dearth of potential professional players in North America because the server is not that big. And also to go back to the original point of John Needham's article talking about why people watch esports. Now League of Legends is so complicated that if you don't have an insane will to play the game and learn everything about it because the, the barrier to entry is so high. Um, now it works in Korea because everybody plays League of Legends. So there's people to help you learn. But if you're just on your own and your friends aren't playing League of Legends and you're and your entry experience, because remember, there isn't a good tutorial system. The the ladder is full of bots and smurfs that are you know making new accounts and they're leveling accounts to sell. It is very difficult to learn the game unless you have a community of people to help you, which exists in China and Korea. It does not exist in North America. And so this is an admission that we're not going to get new North American professional players or there are, sure aren't going to be very many of them. And so in order to keep North America competitive, we are going to have to import an increasingly so large for the LCS players. region. It's for everywhere, but LCS is only going is going to, obviously going to be the only league that really takes. I takes mean, advantage of this. to so me, maybe China. The obvious one's the LPL. Like, if anything, yeah. you should make the LPL even better. Possibly. Remember, it, now in the LPL, this is how mad this is now, dude. Now in the LPL, you can have all three carry roles be from Korea. So now yeah. your team can be the shy rookie and ruler all at once. <laughs> and by the way, just think this through. Because NA gets to have Jazuki and Inspired and Impact, they're going to beat Shy, Rookie, and Ruler in this analogy. That helps them get closer. They're further away by that logic. What the fuck? <laughs> yep. And by the way, this is going to make. By the way, this is also an example of where Riot never think about the ecosystems as if they were sustainable. Because here's the knock-on effect from that, Monty. When you now make China even more powerful, you've just increased the salaries for LCK teams again. They haven't done anything yep. different, but today you just increased the salaries for them because now. How to compete, they also have to pay more money for more people. Like, you actually, why? So, to help LCS, we're going to fuck every other region in the ass. I mean, that's why I, I almost said that naively, as though, like, that, <laughs> let me just consider that premise, as though that wasn't the whole way the game ran the whole time. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Tencent's really <laughs> concerned all. with China getting more, uh, you know, popular and powerful in League of Legends store. And I'm sure Tencent's really worried about that. Um, but yeah, to your, to your point, like, if you're going to do this, like, Again, why not just implement the Super League? Because Riot in John Needham's post outlined that one of the big problems is that they have 100 teams, so they can't properly service them like the 30 teams in Valorant with digital goods. Why can't we have a Super League with no import restrictions where you handpick your favorite franchise owners and you put them together in one league so that we can actually all follow the professional scene instead of it being broken across the entire world with very few international events. If if this is the path you're going down, can we please just get to the end, the logical end point of it already, as opposed to just saying that 
oh yeah, there's there's basically no no import restrictions anymore, especially because in North America, there are now enough resident players that it's even easier to fill a roster with entirely foreign players, which again, I don't buy the fact that people actually want North American talent. They don't. Because Bjergsen was immensely Dude, popular. Dude, for it, me, for real, I think, sadly, we're not going to get to see it, but the best example would have been FlyQuest. If FlyQuest's team really had have been banging at this MSI Monty, they would have been yes. mega popular, in my opinion. Of everyone course. would be loving them. Of course. Yeah. Everyone, everyone, the joke is everyone is like the biggest Prince fan of all time. <laughs> everyone loves him. Nobody, nobody is complaining that the majority of NHL players aren't American. They're Canadian and European because uh, these teams are very popular in America and these players are very popular even if they're foreign because they create the best product and they win the most important competitions on behalf of their American Dude, cities. some of the fucking Russian players are still insanely popular in spite of the current world context. <laughs> By the way, they should be. They're not connected. But that's a, that, that overpower... I agree with you. Like, as long as you're a really good player, overpowers you nationality, of course. I, look, 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 man... I, I promise you that Nuggets yeah, by the way, fans it even works don't with, care that Jokic you know, is Serbian. <laughs> you know, the best example is actually the LPL. Dude, those LPL fans really do cheer for you if you're a rookie, more than oh, if yeah. you're a scout. Oh, except it's also Korean. I'd have to use like Jawu or something. Jawu's won loads of tournaments too, but if they think rookie's the best, they love having a rookie on their team. Like, And by the way, compared to America, China's a significantly more nationalistic country. Like you'd have sure. to go back in time like 60 years to get to that kind of fever in America, you know? So that just proves it. Yeah, so the sad thing is, this is better for competition in terms of like the level of LCS teams, Monty. But you are yep. right. This is, a, this is essentially an admission. Like the whole like, develop any talent thing that's over like that ends today it failed. let's not let's not even pretend it's a thing you know it's, a, it's like you say it's not already over it could never have worked anyway so why bother basically well it is just true because again guys it was never about champions queue it was never about work ethic of the it kind of was about work ethic of the players let's be real but that's it, a bit it, it wasn't really about that it was about the fact that the, the competitiveness of the server is bad because it's a smaller population OK, that's it. And we can't fix the geographic realities or the number of PC gamers within the United States. There's just more console gamers in the States. It's why we see the fighting game community, the American players from there doing much better on the international stage. We know all of the reasons behind this. Like, I promise you, when Project L comes out, the Riot fighting game, Americans are going to do much better internationally in Project L than they do in League of Legends. That's just how it's going to be. And it's very easy to predict this stuff. Why is it called that? Though? They don't have a the, name for is, it yet. Was that the original code name for the LCS? Project L? <laughs> Project L. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle that. It's too so, so, like, you know, I don't really have an issue with this, especially if it does make LCS more competitive. But, the you know, the, the usual suspects, as I understand, have been banging this drum. So Reggie has been at Riot's throat again talking about how they need more import slots, which okay. is hilarious because he doesn't even want to play, pay his players. So, like, just pick a take, Andy Din. Like, do you want to spend money on League of Legends or you don't? That That's the that's his, like, constant quandary is that he can't stand the idea of losing in League of Legends, but it's it's he's been being faced with the reality that he also can't make money. So what he does is just yell at Riot. That's what he does now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is, you know, this is the, this is the whole thing guys is, and we should expect this. And I think it was, it, it, it was inevitable really, by the but, way, I have another they, they, also, they also can't, they also can't just make the three import rule for LCS because it's unfair to the other regions. So if they do it, they're going to open it up to the entire world. Again, these are leaks. These are leaks from Berserker's stream and things that I've heard might happen. So I don't want to present them as if they are going to happen. I just think they are likely to happen.
By the way, I did a tweet about this earlier today, but I always think another element that's really missed about the LCS is when I made that video like two years ago or something where I explained that like the main thing the LCS lost was they already had the WWE superstars in Doublelift and Reggie and Hotshot and Saint and for all these players that everyone revered and had enormous drama and storylines. and They not only already had that, but the, the, the angle that kills me, Monty, is when people talk about the broadcast like it has to suck because the region sucks. You know that joke I made earlier about how essentially Brits in esports don't succeed in the game. They're just all the broadcast talent. We're like Thanos of fucking broadcast talent because we've got the accent yep. and we speak the language and we have the banter style and stuff. Right? Essentially, yep. the same is true, by the way, for Americans in League of Legends. Guys, let me just name a bunch of people for you. I'll even throw in ones I don't like. But So we'll go like Dracos, uh, Monty, LS, Loco, Dom, Doa, Froscorin. Da- all these people are from North America. All of them. They are all Americans. Maybe one of them is a Canadian or something like that. They're all Americans. In theory, if you made the broadcast appealing enough in terms of the compensation, the creative element, and they made the league cool, this the main region they should want to cast and work on is the LCS. The dream for all these people should have been one day to get the best gig on the LCS. And the LCS would win in all other regions by having the best broadcast talent. Instead, notice how many of those names there have never worked on the LCS. Or did an in- Cause I was thinking about this the other day, dude. You know when we did that cringe content where we were all laughing at that old local interview? I still think that was the canary in the coal mine to me that the LCS broadcast would never be fun. When they when they actively kicked Loco out, you know him. He would have done it for free, mate. That's how ridiculous he was. He just actually loved the LCS, and he was a great addition to a broadcast. Because as yeah, we've shown, what makes Joko ama- what makes Loco amazing is he's mega entertaining, even if he's wrong. It's actually really entertaining. Like he's uh, essentially he's one of those guys. It's a bit like you'll know this reference. He's a bit like Moses in CS:GO. If you add them to a group, it only makes the group better. They're like the yeast that fucking like like goes permeates the whole thing and makes it rise. Like they just make yep. every circle more fun, more more angle. And both of them, you notice, I pair them in this way as well. They can both t- be the one who takes the L. They can both be the one who's the butt of the joke, and they're actually they can take it and make the broadcast better. Like I even think that aspect is so short sighted. Like look at like forget fucking. LCS teams, Monty. Look out, but a bad job LCS broadcasters done with NA talent. Real <laughs> NA talent. Like, they have to do it. Like I said, some of these names, by the way, are the best in the world. Throw in some other ones. Papa Smithy, if you know the story of Pistrap, he would have been on the LCS if he'd let him be. Fucking, you could throw in a whole bunch of the people from LEC who are Europeans would be on the LCS if you come at the right time. Like, this could have been the best broadcast in the history of esports. For I real. mean, D Man tried to do LCS later on Absolutely. and they said no. Yep. Like they basically, he went through like eight interviews and they decided to deny him, you know, an LCS slot. You notice this is a metaphor for all of league dude, because what Riot does is this Riot does things in the most fucking like slapdash, lazy, ill thought out, stupid way. (laughs) And and at the end of all of that, they then turn and and throw a number at you and go, ah, the number's only um, one now. So that proves that the broadcast can't work anymore. And it's like, but you made all the variables that made it fail. No, no, the broadcast just can't fail. So shut it down. It's the same as basically what they did with best of three in Europe, where they ran it in such a stupid fashion. Does everyone remember a detail about this? When they ran like best of two and all that shit, they also, by the way, they forget to mention this. They don't mention that they also separated the league into like the NBA with an Eastern and Western conference. You don't remember that, Monty? No one remembers that detail right there. They then act like when the viewership went down, that's because best of twos are bad. 
They don't acknowledge a different fact. The whole thing's nonsense, mate. The worst thing about Riot, if people don't know our content, has always been the take, is they paint themselves into a corner and then explain that because of all this paint trapping them in a corner, there's nothing they can do. And never acknowledge they were the ones that painted themselves the corner. And we the whole time are going, I wouldn't paint yourself in that corner. It's not going to work. And then they just go, well, it's too late now, isn't it? Look at all this paint. <laughs> there we go. That's all good. Yeah. So... I don't know, man. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of these decisions remain questionable. Man, why but... do people watch this show? I don't get it. Like, <laughs> why don't people just watch your stream, Monty? They don't want to hear me talk, even though it's my show. I invented, have hosted, booked ninety percent of the guests for, have brought all the fucking entertainment. Every time it's a boring episode, I bring up a bunch of funny things. Why? Why am I here? What's the point? <laughs> if it's just to listen to you talk, I'll go, mate. You can stay on your own. What's the point? <laughs> No, That's not I, a shot I, at you, by the way. I just think that we have the stupidest fans. What I'm so sick of is this, Monty. Every person who I do shows with now does their own show. So if you watch my show, you have to admit you're watching it for me. Monty <laughs> does it. Everybody talks about the same topics with like two different sets of people on other shows that don't feature me. So if you tune into this show and complain that I talk, you are objectively a <laughs> fucking cretin. You probably work for Riot Games. There you go. I'm all, it's all good now. I've got to have a system. <laughs> No, it's true. And also, like, this show is is the most popular show on LFN. That's full stop. Oh, it's so. weird now. That, no, no, wait a second. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, Monty. You're telling me the show with the British guy no one wants to hear on that doesn't even have guests on it anymore is more popular than a show featuring I Will Dominate, one of the biggest streamers in the whole world. Well, what do you know? The numbers don't <laughs> lie, homie. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I know. Yep. Ridiculous. It's all right. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's been... It's definitely it's definitely been a very interesting week around around the meta of League of Legends with some of these announcements that are coming out and especially as like the ongoing esports crisis unfolds and has unfolded across you know several of our shows at this at this point in time for Horsemen again go back and watch that if you haven't and just had to talk about this because of the post that was made. Have any other topics you want to discuss? Uh, I mean, the the thing is is like as I said before, we've you and I have already discussed all of the matches that have happened on other shows, whether it was best damn league show or power spike this week, but we can, we can dive into that. Any, sure. any interesting takes you have on, uh, on LPL finals or, or the way LEC is unfolding. Uh, yeah, let's do a little bit of all of it. So on the LPL, I would actually say this was just, sadly, here's the problem. Even though BLG did play really well, like it's one of those examples a bit like BDS in Europe. I can't hit on the team that won the games. They did deserve to win the games. Sadly, the playoffs for LPL were just a little bit underwhelming for me because BLG yeah. wasn't one of my big teams. I wanted to see all those matchups I was bragging you about all those last time. I wanted to see <laughs> JDG against like fucking LNG and then like Weibo yep. and then maybe TES and spoiler, none of those matches happened because of BLG <laughs> right. and also fucking OMG, sadly. So in the end, and the good news for me is this, right? BLG, like BDS, do deserve to be at MSI. That's cool. But also, I need, like, a really good team. So, same as in Europe, it's going to be, like, G2 or Vitality. At least I got JDG out of China. At least I got them. Because they that was a team that, from the second you saw the roster, you were like, this could be really exciting. You saw the initial games. Yeah, they have the odd game that they throw super hard. When they hit, this team is so fucking powerful in League of Legends. Like, yeah, this great. was a team where, when I even saw the roster, I was like, dude, if they play this right, this is a world champion right here. So that still looks to be the case with JDG. As you see, when their game is on, they are amazing. And I can tell you what, mate. After all those years of seeing Jackie Love fucking int night 
Oh, it's a blessing to have Ruler. Do you know what it feels like to have Ruler instead of Jacklow? Because if people don't know, even though he's become a bit more aggressive in the last few years when they play around him, Ruler is probably the best example of the safe ADC that doesn't throw the game. He's the opposite of Jackie Love, and but he's just as fucking good or better at the game. So that's why this is why, like, if they keep this combo together, mate, Knight and Ruler, mate, they are gonna run the fucking LPL for years to come. That combo is fucking fire, mate. It's fire. Especially, especially because they've been able to skirmish so successfully in like the three v threes and the bot river, um, and around the dragon and stuff like that with missing as well, or with Kanavi being there, and that's how they get a lot of their advantages. I will say, like, if you guys have been watching JDG throughout the season, first off, this was a very dominant series by JDG. Like, yes, they lost game three. There were some questionable choices, such as. They had been playing the Cassante, Bin locks in the Gwen, and then they counterpick themselves with Cassante because we've seen the, the Gwen be a counterpick. So, I mean, I think they were kind of fucking around in game number three, if I'm being honest. And then they came back and just, you know, clapped BLG in the last game of the series. I guess it was a little closer, but... Um, Honestly, I also like, do love the way in league that is like a really famous trend. Have you noticed that the second that you get amazing and you think you're the best team in the world, you, you have to instantly you have to instantly <laughs> do some shit like like a British villain would in an old '80s movie where it's like I will just pointlessly give you a head start now. You fucking <laughs> you can never defeat me. It's like why are you doing? Why not just win? Just win three zero. But they they can never do it. Yeah. It's like Samsung White back in the day. Sure. They couldn't just three zero TSM. They had to actually try and prove yes, like, like TSM can't even play League of Legends. You know. Like, that's <laughs> It's so silly, isn't it? I, I do sort of love it, though. I low-key love it, in a way. Um, uh, so I, I, for those of you who didn't watch the season, JDG, like, wasn't, you know, they were extremely good when they were good. They played very well from ahead. Um, they have had some issues, like, Kanavi has kind of inted some games, so yeah, there's still like that that question mark a little bit. Although it didn't really, it didn't show up in the finals. I thought Kanavi. I'll tell you what the interesting well. angle on that one is, Monty. This is something people will miss because this is connected to why BLG made it this far. If people don't know, sadly, because of JDG individually, Yagao was actually always overrated. He's just because you have to understand he was never actually in the elite circle of mids. The elite circle of mids was rookie knight, fucking Zhaohu, scout. Like you have to understand, it's so stacked in in. China. We're not even hating on him by saying he wasn't in that group. His whole style, if people don't know, was he was like, if you remember the old style when he was in Cloud9 of Niski, of like he helps the jungler. That's what Yagao does with Kanavi. And so what he's done successfully in his career is he works really well with the team. He's like a mega good for that. So that's one reason why I also think Kanavi had some dodgy games this split, Monty, is because he didn't have Yagao, which is equivalent to like when suddenly you take out the Niski equation and you just put in a not like a really good middle in it, but they're just a selfish middle in it. You're not going to have the same connection. You're not going to have the same person guiding. You're not going to have the same interactions. So I, I even wonder if that's part of the equation because I also agree. Like I thought Kanavi would be even better, but actually, if anything, he's a little bit weaker in this team, I feel. Yeah, he, I mean, he's made some really weird individual decisions at times, like on invades and and dying in, in kind of strange ways. Um, I, I think it's gotten better and we saw less of that during the playoffs and certainly a lot less of it during the finals. Um, but, you know, I'm talking about potential weaknesses here at MSI. Obviously, this is an extremely good team and probably should be considered like a co-favorite going into MSI alongside Gen G. The, the positives have been immense, right? Outside of some you know, like the the Weibo series it, very early on in the LPL where Ruler just completely griefed that series. Ruler has been amazing. Ruler was incredible yep. in this series. 369 has been insanely stable as a player. And what I love about 369 is that 
you know, he kind of neutralizes the top lane. Like we saw him taking the Cassante into the Jacks in the first two games and performing very well. He can shut down carries. When we saw him in the final game of this series, his Gragas is, he's the best top lane Gragas in the world. I don't even think that's a question. And the way that he roamed onto the map, TP'd into the bottom side, got ruler ahead. Um, I mean, his map awareness is excellent. His flanking is excellent. His engaging is excellent. His tanking is excellent. Like, he is such a good player. And even when the the enemy top laner is a world-class top laner, he is able to neutralize a lot of their carry potential and basically delete them from the game while providing a lot of support to the carries knight and ruler on his team. He's just playing great. I mean, this has been a really amazing season for 369. Another thing I'll give mad props to is whoever actually did build this roster. Because another thing about this team was, think about JDG that we saw at Worlds last year, where they were like a dark horse to maybe win the whole thing. This is like a better version. This is an even better... Like, they actually recruited players, Monty, who are also amazing at team fighting. It was actually such a a well-put-together squad. Because as you say, think about it. When you get... These are already strong laners who then become super strong team fighters and are some of the best in the world at their position. Like, it's just a fucking amazing squad. It's one of the rare times where super teams do work. Like, this just works, mate. Yeah. I. They may have some issues, like, when they fall behind early, in the same way that potentially like T1 had some of those issues. Like if they weren't getting big advantages, they could sometimes struggle. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see what happens in like the 13.8 meta with all of the teams. Knight basically ran through playoffs where most of his success was on pick champions like Ari, Annie, or Syndra. Like all of his wins in playoffs came on those champions. Um, and of course he's very well known and very good at all those champions. I thought his Annie in the finals was not as good as I've seen it in the past. He missed some stuns. He wasn't keeping track of summoners. So he would sometimes like try and flash stun people who had flash up and it was a little awkward, but his Ari was excellent. And I know his Annie has been really good and he draws tons of Syndra bands as people know. Syndra's Um, unbelievable, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's been a big, you know, point, strong point for him. But basically, they were creating scenarios where he could roam and get ruler ahead, or they could fight in these skirmishes and start to get a pick and then operate, you know, get start getting jinx resets um, for ruler to clean up these team fights. Worked really well for them. Uh, I, I like what we were seeing. Uh, JDG way, continues to be able know, to run with leads like almost no team in the world. You know how we always pointed out, specifically Rookie was the best example of this, like that the, the elite Asian Oriana is so different from the Western Oriana because the Western Oriana is either you're just a mage player or you pick it to be safe and sort of like, ah, whatever, can't get too out of control. In the same way as Rookie's Oriana was on another level. If you've only seen Western players play Syndra, you have no idea what that champion is. You have to go and watch Knight <laughs> now play because he, dude, when he plays it, you don't even notice it's not mobile, mate. He, and that's never a problem. Like, he's just always in the right position. He just kills you instantly. You just execute. Oh, it's so, he's so fucking good when he's on his best champions, man. Yeah, it's fun, especially because it's been a pocket ban. And they they actually, Billy Billy had to, like, pick it away from him when they didn't want to ban it in the final game of the series because they started, you know, banning the Annie instead. Uh, I still think some of the the LPL meta was a little weird. There was, like, less priority on Annie for a lot of teams, um, you know, except for, like, JDG. Um, and there's still obviously like the pocket ban meta, like we see, uh, the, the, uh, Kindred against Billy Billy or the Rumble against OMG. If you notice, they always have like extra jungle picks in China. If you notice that they always have like champions that are like really hard to like make work or like mega aggressive. Like right. for example, they're the region that just always has Nidalee. 
just all permanently yeah. at jungle. Like what? Like that. If people don't know, spoiler, like you can go look up some of the games of people try. That's like probably one of the hardest champions to ever fucking make work. They just do it all and the it's time. In context for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think the other thing that really helped JDG was like Kanavi basically only played Wukong which is extremely strong right now. And in Korea, you know, that started, you know, really rising up the, the pick ban priority status. Um, and like, especially in the last couple of series, like it was just basically like Wukong for Kanabi. So it, it, I think it was a smart priority uh, for them and worked out really well. So JDG, I think was more similar to kind of the Korean style of drafting on this patch. Uh, that we saw from T1 and Gen G and, and KT and those teams, uh, with the exception of obviously the Syndra. That was that was something, but that's unique to uh unique to Knight, as you said previously. So yeah, uh it was it was not the most spectacular LPL playoffs, let's put it that way, but I still think it's exciting to see the teams that are going. I don't think Billy Billy is better than T1 or Gen G. Yagao had quite a bad performance in the finals, I thought, compared to the rest of his playoff run, where he looked like he was in the kind of form heading into worlds uh la that he was last year. But by the time it got to the finals, he looked like how he looked at worlds last year, which was not great. And also I think it has to be said that, you know, in the semifinals they faced uh, EDG and and Fofo has been one of the big weak links there, so it wasn't the hardest mid matchup for him. Yes, it's actually sad though because basically, like I say, Billy Billy weren't even on the radar for all these great discussions. All split long, it was all the other teams. It was top esports, and it was because that was. If people don't know, even though now that's aged very badly, the joke is. Just be careful what you wish for, rookie. Yeah, I used to think like Knight has a better team than you. Like, yeah, maybe not. Because like that fucking <laughs> that team also looked like it could be very interesting on paper. It just didn't work out, sadly. The Weibo yeah. one similar could have been fire, kind of lend up lackluster. Unfortunately, a lot of the teams, like this is why the MSI one actually hasn't ended up as sick as it's because we didn't get the dream people from every region. We got it from Korea. We might get it from LEC. We didn't get it from LCS and we didn't get it from LPL. So it's like, it's going to be good, but it could have been even more snack. could have been even more snack. Yeah. And, and LEC, I think um, there, there's been a lot of talk of the format recently because weirdly the points, the championship points are the same for winter and spring because they don't increase the championship points from winter to the spring split. It's just winter and spring are the same and then they increase them for summer split. So we're now in this situation where if G2 wins the finals, which even though they're starting in the, you know, in the lower bracket, they're still G2 and could absolutely turn it on at any point in time and win this entire thing. That means that Mad Lions will automatically qualify to MSI, even if they place fourth. Um, this is something this I wanted play. to ask you about, because this is an example, in my opinion, of an obvious flaw in the format. Because it presents a scenario, Monty, which, in my opinion, should never even be a consideration, which is the match that Mad Lions is now scheduled to play against G2, Monty. You could argue they would actually be better intentionally losing the game because yes, of what you just yeah, said. Yeah, Dom made that argument. That should well. never exist. That is such... Anytime I can lose the game and it might help me in the long run, that is a nightmare because, first of all, it just opens up betting scenarios. Match, but then also in this case, as we say, like, I, 
I am actually, remember, for financial reasons, I'm incentivized to want to be at MSI. It's going to be, it's massive for my org. Like, it's a big deal. So, like, I, I just hate, I hate, that just makes me very uncomfortable when that scenario exists. Now, look, luckily, pro players are just kids playing games. They will go in the game. They will try and win it. They'll try and win the league. They yeah. probably even believe they can win the league. But so I just I just get uncomfortable whenever, like, I even, like, potential corruption like that is available, you know. It just makes yeah. me a bit uncomfortable. I have another one I wanted to run by you. So, do you have a th- take on that? I mean, I think it's bad. Um, there's there's several ways I think you could solve this issue. So one of the reasons why Mad Lion, you know, we're in this situation is Odo Omne suggested on Twitter that- I was going to bring this know, up, yeah. Yeah, the losers, the basically the losers of each group, so the second place teams from each group, they they cross over and play each other, which by the way, is exactly what happens at the MSI format. So if you're not familiar with the way play-ins are going to work at MSI, it's that they have the two GSL groups, the, the number one teams automatically qualify to the bracket, and then they play a third place match between the losers of both of those finals and the groups. So they could do the exact same thing here, uh, potentially to try and figure out, or like even in the first place matches, just cross the groups, right? Because in this particular instance, it did seem like Group B, the one that contained BDS, SK, G2, and Koi, was a lot stronger than Group A that contained Astralis, Fnatic, Vitality, and Mad Lions. And the argument could be made that in a qualification match, so this would be the lower bracket finals in this particular format, so where Astralis played Mad and Koi played G2, if we had instead seen you know, the teams cross groups and play each other that we may have ended up with Koi and G2 in the playoffs instead of either Astralis or Mad Lions. And then we wouldn't have this problem. Yep. So there's two ways to handle it. That's a good way. I agree with that. I think Odo Omni's take is That's right. A great, That's great suggestions. You know, Rare players very, come up with stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And also, again, this is another weird thing. Riot themselves has somewhat, it's not exactly the same with MSI, but it is very, you know, it's the same concept, basically. It's just being applied slightly differently Um, in that it instead of like playing, it's the, instead of it being like the third place team or whatever uh anyway you get it you get it so yeah um yeah it's it is a little bit interesting and the other thing is just to increase the championship points for spring it's just to increase the championship points for spring so that you don't have a situation where mad lions could get second place and fourth place and qualify if g2 wins twice uh, if there were more points and BDS was already in the finals, then maybe they could, you know, do do a little bit better if Mad Lions gets eliminated in fourth point wise. By so, the way, am I the only the one who finds I find this so confusing, Monty, because it brings up the original season three stupid championship point problem that meant Najin Blacksword went to Worlds instead of KT yeah. Rolster. This is the original problem from the first year of the fucking LCS. And you often figured it out in LEC in 2023. Because what annoys me about this is the way that the point system was designed. Here's my, here's, as someone who has designed formats, here's my takeaway, Monty. I think whoever did the point was only thinking about the whole circuit and the world's part. I don't think they thought about, yeah, 
there, but MSI also is essentially a different. And I think that's the mistake they made because I get why. You, why if you think about it, if you're thinking someone's more important, I get why it's spring and winter would seem the same. But in this scenario, MSI is worlds, and you've just made spring and summer the same as it was. You've run into the same problem we've all seen a million times. Actually, on Best Damn League Show, which you can watch the VOD of on this channel, or if you're technically on Twitch as well, but watch it on YouTube, please. And basically, we actually also discussed there an idea that Dom had. Maybe he brought it up on your show. I'm not sure, but I thought it was a great one too, which was, how about this? Here's what you do, Monty. Whoever wins the spring split gets the first MSI spot. Then whoever is second and third in points just plays a, a, a best, best of five, five. to decide yeah. who goes. Because here's the point I tried to make. The most frustrating thing about League has been in LEC. You remember a couple of years ago, Rogue barely won any fucking games and qualified automatically almost, right? Then you had Mad Lions did it last year. No playoff series won, qualified to Worlds. If Mad Lions ends up being the second or third seed in points, Monty, but they beat like Vitality in a best of five, who's going to complain? Exactly. At that point, I'd even say, hey, I'd actually like to see Mad Lions there. But if they go just by losing to G2 now... No one's going to be hyped. No one's going to be hyped because they beat Astralis and Fnatic, are they? You know what I mean? I think that's well, just... that. Not, not, not only have I tried to make the format better, but if you notice, I'm trying to give like a satisfying reason that someone qualifies. Yeah, it'd be great. No, I think it's a really good idea. And But here's the problem, Thorin. They've run out of days because... That's I true. don't know if you saw Yamato Cannon. Yep. We're talking about a lot of other people's videos today. So you, might, you can go to Yamato Cannon's channel and he talks about the problems with MSI and LEC. They took a break week. We still don't know why. Like, why did they have a break week between group the the spring uh, groups? So it was the spring round robin and the spring groups between the first phase and yep. second phase of LEC because it is cutting it so close to the start of MSI. Guys, it's it's four twenty today. MSI starts in two weeks. It starts in two weeks. LEC isn't done yet. And yeah, the tournament is in Europe, so it's not you know the same burden of travel time or anything like that. But how can you possibly be prepared? Because you are skipping, what, three patches? To, you know, they're on 13.5. No, they're on 13.6. They're, sk they're skipping two patches. The other playoffs were on 13.5. But those, those, those tournaments are done. So let's say, you know, you are playing this weekend to determine all the finals. That means that you don't finish playing games. The, the MSI teams are not going to finish playing games until Monday the 24th. That gives them a week to practice on the new patch. They cannot scrim on the new patch right now, whereas all the other teams in the world are capable of scrimming on the MSI patch right now. And so they're going to be significantly less prepared. They're going to have travel days. Like, let's say they go, they they travel to London on the 25th. Well, there's not going to be scrimming that day. Maybe there won't be scrimming on the 26th. Also remember, guys, that the way these tournament works, they have to have media days. So what's going to happen when they get there is they're going to have an entire day where they're going to do photo shoots and video shoots and interviews. Not going to be able to practice then either. So you really have cut in massively to the European team's ability to adapt to the patch of MSI by giving them a lot less time. It's been a couple weeks since some of these other leagues have finished and they, they well, the patch wasn't out yet, but it is now, um, for them to adapt to, to adapt to this patch. And it's going to really hurt LEC team's performance. So why did they take an extra week? Why, why do they take this time off? I don't understand why they take these breaks, which pushes LEC so late.
I mean, I just think that, like, if you look at when, like, LCS and LCK ended, it is unacceptable to give that kind of a disadvantage to LEC. There's no yeah, good it's reason also for the, it. the, You know, they're also the home team. Like, these are the, it's in Europe. Like, we should want to help the European teams do as well as possible in front of the home crowd. And instead, we're in a scenario where they will be significantly less prepared, particularly than the Asian teams who are just going to be sitting there scrimming on this patch the entire time. So the scheduling, again, I think is is relatively suspect in, in this instance. And you see the problems. But back to you, the point we were making, Thorin, if you play that extra best of five, well, all of a sudden, you know, if we played the number two in championship points versus the number three in championship points, um, then what you have is that would happen on the 25th and then you lose another day before MSI. So because of the week break, that's not even an option. Like you have to schedule this in a way that makes sense. Luckily, though, I will say all the shit we've had to put up with Riot and things here and then flaws and then we're learning about the format. It's all going to be worth it when MSI comes, though, because I am so hyped for that tournament. Yeah, Actually, the MSI for, format for does real. Rule. People don't get it because you can tell they just haven't watched enough double limb tournaments, mate. I actually, this is the most hyped I've ever been for any tournament in League of Legends. Ever. Yes, agreed. Because Worlds was just always so underwhelming as a format, wasn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> so I, this is going to be amazing. I think it's going to be sick. Yeah, we're, we're going to get some really, really fucking good games. And yeah, it's pretty disappointing that Golden Guardians is going and it may be very disappointing that Mad Lions goes. But hopefully, you know, Vitality or BDS will win this split of LEC. We will dodge the bullet. They can fix the format in a way that makes sense for next year. We're not going to have the scenario again in, in summer, most likely. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm still encouraged by, I think the LEC format is still good. Overall, it just requires some minor tweaks to avoid these scenarios as well as some fixes to the scheduling. And hopefully they've learned a few lessons about some of these outliers and how to avoid them in the future. But MSI's format appears to be, I would say, almost flawless. Like, I can't really see a lot of problems with, with how it's being enacted right now. Um, should provide us very interesting play-ins, should provide us very interesting, the double bracket. Um, you know, we should see some really compelling best of fives between a lot of the best teams in the world. And hopefully we'll get some more, uh, you know, all Western best of fives in the lower bracket, which are exciting in their own right. Like, I think that's the problem is that in the single limb format, we often just saw the Western teams get bopped and then didn't ever see them play each other. And so we couldn't actually develop hype for them at international Dude, imagine how hype C9 against G2 will be if it happens. I mean, just think about at last year's Worlds. EG versus Mad Lions was a very hyped up match, right? And it, it wasn't it wasn't the best match. It wasn't like the most compelling match on paper in terms of gameplay. But the fact that it actually happened that we got to see those teams play against each other really activated the Western fan base. And I think part of the reason that LCS has declined in popularity is that LCS teams can, as we've seen, take on European teams. Will they win the majority of those? No, but they have a much better shot than against the Asian teams. And so if you provide opportunities for NA teams to occasionally win those games, like we saw in EG versus Mad Lions, then maybe the American fan base won't be quite so despondent about their team's performance and will activate more uh, fan base for the LCS, right? That seems like the best way to do it for me because we can't be realistic about these teams winning worlds or winning international competitions. So do it this way, which again, then obviously you have to raise the question, why not do it at Worlds as well? It doesn't make sense. But hopefully after this year, 
the MSI format will dominate and we will see a change to worlds next year. That is my hope. I'll also throw this in there. Another unexpected consequence that people haven't thought through is because now an extra team from Europe and and NA gets international experience and literally within the same season, that also is a big deal. Like that can level a team up. Like what I imagine is this, the dream is say someone goes who's a rookie you can flunk at MSI, but still be good at Worlds. Like, before you had to be the champion or even go to MSI. Like, this also just yeah. opens the scene up to be, because as you're saying, the re- the real way, we won't do the whole thing because I've done it a million times, but the real way that you make the West more competitive with the East, you don't change anything about the game. You just make them play more. The more familiar they are, the less it's like a big pressure thing. It doesn't make you better at the game. Like, spoiler, in CSGO, most of the NA teams still lose to all the European teams. But I tell you what, they're way closer when they play. Like, if people know the team complexity in CSGO, dude, all the time they mixing up with top European teams going like this close to beating them in the third map. If they only played them once a year and in a massive high pressure game, they'd almost never do that guys. Like yeah, it would be crumble. a different game. Yeah. It'd be a totally different game. Yeah. So I, I, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about MSI. I am also, they announced today, Thor, and you'll love this. Yumi is disabled for the entirety of MSI because they, they've said that the rework didn't really hit uh, the, you know, they're still concerned about her basically at the professional level, which is amazing because I really didn't want to see more fucking Yumi at the professional level. And they're also disabling, uh, Milio, the new support champion, which I guess it, we haven't seen it in pro play. I don't think it's like OP or anything like that probably would have been kind of interesting, but I think they didn't want to introduce new champions to MSI when we hadn't seen it in regional competition. So I respect that. You know, I respect that. We don't need to see Milio. We certainly don't need to see Yumi. Um, and they definitely missed the mark with the the Yumi changes that they made. And I'm not sure how they could ever really fix this champion without it being completely useless in uh, in casual play, like on the rank ladder. But I, there's also the opportunity of just banning Yumi forever from professional play, which I personally don't have a problem with at all. I think that's I mean, the I best solution know. going I, forward. I personally don't think the champion adds very much to the game. Like, here's the difference. I could, because I talk to all the different people in the different roles, look, I can get you people who are very intelligent, who make a case as to why, like, Aphelios shouldn't be removed, and it has, like, value, and it can do all this. I've never met a single pro player ever who had an argument for why Yumi's good for the game. I've never met one, ever. Even support players who play it don't like it. Guys, that is the ultimate sign right there. Same thing's happening in CSGO. Sometimes there's an OP gun in CSGO. And the people who use it will be like, yeah, I think it's broken. It should be fixed. Like, what more do you need at that point, guys? <laughs> like, they're benefiting from it. By the way, one thing I thought I could just throw out there is, I'm just going to say it now. I've already talked about Best Damn League Show. But, like, essentially, I, if you know me, I'm not just going to bail on Vitality because it got beaten 3-0 by BDS. Because right. think about what that implies. That implies you think that is their normal level and is how they will play in all future series. I think that was probably the worst Vitality has ever looked far and away. There were players who played inexplicably bad, like Bo, in a way that just doesn't even make sense. Look, Perks wasn't great, but he's also he doesn't really have to be great in this team anyway. I just don't think that'll happen again. Like, look, I don't know if they're going to beat G2 because almost certainly they're going to play G2 next. That's going to be a banger series. For me, that would have been the original final. But I think they can beat them. I still think it's possible Vitality can win the league. I'm not just going to duck out. Like, I think there's a world where they turn up way better than they were in that game. Right. I think you can argue that very easily that Vitality had the weaker group and so may have looked better. But also it just felt like on this particular day that Vitality, like basically Photon, Bo, Perks, and Kaiser all underperformed yep. at the same time. 
at the yep. same time. And that hasn't been true. I just couldn't the, play League of Legends as a result. Yeah, and I'm, I couldn't play League of Legends. No one knows how we played. Never played League of Legends. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think upset was fine. Um, but I don't think they're all going to have a bad day again. Now, it's been true of Vitality that they've all, all those guys have kind of been taking turns having bad yep. days, but it hasn't happened simultaneously. And the, the the other question you have to ask is, what happens when they all have a good day simultaneously? Uh, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Same logic. Are we all going to pretend this isn't the only day ever in the history of League of Legends that Labrov put together two games in a row like this? <laughs> Are we not pretending this is Labrov's normal level? Is it fuck? I've watched him all these years. Spoiler, he used to be on Vitality, if people don't know. Like, I've seen Labrov, mate. Look, props to him for having a really big game in, like, look, it wasn't like, oh, no, it was playoffs. Yeah, in a playoff match, big props. But I have to see it again, mate. Like, I don't know. Are you really going to A, get those champions? Are you really going to B, land every hook again? If you can do it, fair play. But I thought he actually overperformed that series. Like, Crowley was sure. mega... In general, I give it up to Nook and Shield. They, they play pretty well in all the games. Yeah. But I actually thought, it, like, yeah, it first, first of all, Adam inexplicably was gapping Photon. And then Bo was shit. He wasn't even in the game. And then, yeah, I'm with you. Like, the actual Labrov one, though, like, mate, no one expected that over before. Look, everyone knows Kaiser's the weak spot on Vitality, but he wasn't supposed to be, like, way worse than Labrov. So I think I think people, are, they're seeing the worst of Vitality, the absolute best of BDS, and they're just doing that thing every fan does. Like, it was always going to be like that. What, you thought the the other team could win you moron yeah, well, it, I mean, I'll just say I'll double down on Vitality so let's see how it works out it also was that even I mean they had a lead in game two of this series and were doing quite well and then uh, like when they weren't playing individually like they were like so they had the individual ability problem that we discussed so individually a lot of their players were doing worse four out of their five players I think were playing below their average level and then also when they had a lead, they would force the strangest fights. Like, why the fuck would you play against BDS, play into like Wukong, Aphelios, Cassiopeia, and then pile into a choke point where you get absolutely obliterated by their AoE? Vitality just wasn't even playing their composition properly. Like they were basically playing a, a pick comp with like Nautilus, Annie, Lee Sin, and Zaya. And they opted into fights that were extremely unfavorable to them. So I don't really get, I, they seem to have lost the plot when it comes to their team communication and win conditions, because they certainly, these games were winnable in spite of the fact that they had a bad day. Like game two and game three were winnable games for Vitality that they basically threw. And also, let's just throw this in there. What the fuck was that action draft in game one? What? Why? Well, that, mate, that's why it's a dumb. I speculated. That makes me think that these teams were scrimming because they were in different groups, and that Vitality actually thought they were the underdog. Like, why do you start game one with that fucking oh, draft, mate? You know what I, I, mean? I think. I think the answer is because they know, like, if they see the Darius, like the action is a a a good matchup with the Darius, and because they know they're not going to be running teleport, they think they can kind of like win the one v one, make Darius useless. But what's so what's special about the way that Adam and, and BDS play around Adam is they pick these lane bully champions or things that Adam can really do well on in the laning phase and get these leads. Now, obviously, the problem is Darius is very kiteable into the mid and late game stages of team fights. But you know what? Here's how you can close the gap. You have a Maokai. So he just ults or W somebody and Darius ghosts. And then all of a sudden he can start dealing damage. They have a Thresh that can hook somebody and make sure Darius does damage. They build compositions around him. 
And here's the other thing that they do. There was a lot of talk on the broadcast. Oh, BDS has gotten, you know, every dragon for the last 20 days yes. or whatever it was. Well, the, the reason why they're able to do that is because in the early stages of the game, Adam is winning the 1v1s on some of these champions. And so the, the enemy jungler basically has to go topside. And so BDS is able to just take dragons more or less for free on the bottom side of the map because Adam is exerting a lot of pressure. And the secret about Adam statistically is that he is actually a very low economy top laner because in the late stages of the game, they don't give him farm. He is basically just a distraction in the early stages of the game while the while Crowny ramps up like a motherfucker. He's like then, the really old school tops. You remember back in season two and three where they were on the island and the whole point was that they just played 1v1. That's all the game was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he's basically just, yes. he's, he's a matador with the red flag that's distracting the bull in, from attacking the matador instead. And it works. But you know what's is, genius about that as well is I'm just going to say it. Adam's the same as Malrang Monty. If you put him in the worst team, I've seen him when he's in the worst team, he would do all this anyway. That's why it, I know it's the coaching staff doing it, Monty. Because they've even managed essentially to make weaknesses become part of the dynamic. Because think about this, Monty. What's the most alluring thing to, to, to make the jungler want to go top and gank? Is when the top laner is pushed in too far and he won't let the wave come back. That's Adam's whole game. Essentially, he's the <laughs> greatest bait of all time. He is a laser pointer and the jungler is a cat. Like You, yeah. do, you can't help. You have to go for him. Well, but this can work in your favor because as you say, so, if you're ganking up there, we're taking the dragon or we're having a fight. So, so I understand the theory behind why the action pick is selected here, okay? But at the same time... It's like you say, though, Monty, it's only as a theory craft that works, though. Because one, I'm just going to say it right now, Adam is the same as fucking leader. You think that is a counter because Correct. that is a counter to a normal Correct. player. He lives Correct. in the counters. Correct. He has, <laughs> literally, people like Leader and Adam are playing those counters all day long. To so the joke is, yes. not only are you not as good on the counter pick, but they're Correct. way too That's good exactly on the pick the you're countering. Yeah, exactly. That's the part where, like, this is why it does kill me, Monty, because it's a bit like what me and Dom always said about the Misfits team last year. It's like, look, props to you for finding a formula, but I would just be a dick in the playoffs and just cynically, I would, I would take the anchor the fucking the bottleneck in this case it's Adam and I would just ban all your shit out and here's the thing if you want to play NAR and you want to play Scythe have at it that is your you can do what you want mate but I'm not letting you ever play Darius all the shit that you are just too uniquely good on and look at the difference between game two when Adam was on the Scion and it's not yep. that Adam is is necessarily bad at Scion, but they were doing a lot better when they were forcing BDS to group early or Adam to play in some of these team fights. Um, and that's the game where Vitality did have a lead and should have been able to close out that game, but they took some really stupid fights that didn't suit their team composition and basically played right into BDS's hands and then gave BDS a Baron and they won the game. So, uh, you know, I think Vitality came in. Look, like you're saying, there's no way, even if it is a counterpick matchup, like I think playing fleet footwork flash ghost action does make it very difficult for Darius to play. Now, if, if there's a gank that comes in from the Maokai, action can be in trouble for sure. Like that, that is a very, I mean, he could die really fast if he's locked down. Um, so if you chain the CC on him, then it's possible. But I think in an isolated 1v1, if you play safely, you know, you can kind of get through the laning phase and then Darius isn't going to be as good in a lot of those team fights. But again, that's under normal conditions. It's not under the conditions where Adam plays against these ranged matchups all day long and can do very well. It's not, it's about BDS's style where they know how to play around the Darius because that's what they practice with all day. So if they, they know better than you how to prop him up in those situations and they also draft in a way 
way that you wouldn't see in solo queue, where again, they're running Thresh, Oriana, and Maokai. They can provide enough crowd control and enough engage to allow Darius to close the gap in team fights. And that's not always true of Darius comps in solo queue. So it, it, it is, they really do a great job of their coaching staff preparing for this and playing around it. And they still have win conditions because if you spend all day ca like camping the Darius, they don't care. They they dragon stack. Crowny gets a massive lead and then he just explodes you with a million chakrams on, on a Philios yeah. in a team fight. So their, their style is good. Their style I also is good. appreciate they're that, by the way. They play really well around crown shot too. Like they actually get yeah. much where their fucking bread is buttered, mate. But, uh, I got to I mean, be real. Right now, if we were to vote right now, Crowny's probably the MVP of the fucking LEC bit. Why wouldn't he be, you know? Yeah. It'd probably be my vote. Yeah, I, I think I think like a lot of this, a lot of this um this BDS roster is the coaches really understanding the players' strengths and making building a style that is very effective for them and the players buying into that style. Like I, I think Adam is individually a better player than he was on Fnatic, and he's less of a liability, but it's also the fact that his team is just playing really well around him. They're drafting really well around him. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, reasons why BDS is doing well. And they also just have a very solid fundamental sense of macro that has done them enormous favors. So we're seeing that, you know, bear fruit. I, I don't think that this team will do particularly well against Asian teams because they're basically just a worse version of like Gen G, for example. Um, and also you a lot of their success is predicated on surprise from Adam's champion pool, but you know, who's not going to be surprised by Adam's champion pool, the LPL teams who play against these champions all the time. Like, it, you know, they're not strangers to fucking Olaf or, or Darius or weird ass carry picks in the top lane. They're going to be very good at dismantling BDS. Uh, if they go to MSI. Do we do some viewer questions? Yeah. Let's take let's a, quick a quick break. break yeah. yeah. We'll do a quick break and we'll come back with viewer questions for you guys. Right, we're going to do some viewer questions now. If people don't know, you can ask these questions by being a subscriber to our Discord, the Last Free Nation Discord. If you go there, it's just basically the best revenue split of all the different ways you can be a member of something. So we replaced the GOG grog coin with that and if you are someone who subscribes there, there's a channel where you can put the questions in there and that's where Monty draws them from now. That's right. Um, so let's start. Have you thought of doing something like a monthly book slash movie club to try and educate the nephews about literature and art? I mean, that's part of the content we want to do with Elephant in the future. We've talked about Thorne and I doing like a graphic novel book club uh, where we go through classic graphic novels and and, um, and uh, you know, discuss them. Uh, Doe and I want to do like a nerd culture podcast which would be about whatever you know, new you know, show came out with his house Star of the dragon Wars, or all that crap, yeah. the, the Mandalorian and or rings of power, whatever, where we discuss or that what, Brian We're, Sanderson book he's reading or some growth. I'm guessing <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not reading those books, but oh, um, it'd be like TVs and TV and movies, I think where, you know, do I get super angry probably and rant about how bad it is. And then Doa tries to be a fanboy. It'll you, look, it's the same shit that you loved about us, like talking on the, on the old OGN broadcast, et cetera. Um, I mean, I think honestly, like if if you, Richard, and I did a show talking about, you know, classic sci-fi movies or like classic movies, that would be very entertaining. 
Uh, people love to hear about that. I would if certainly... People don't know, Richard is essentially like almost a specialist here on like 80s horror and stuff like that, for example. So oh yeah, like, I'd love to do that he, with He him. could go really super fun. niche. Yeah, he knows all like the, the cult classics he can recommend. Yeah, so like we could do something like that. I think having me, Thorne, and Richard do that would be really fun. Um, I'd, I'd definitely be down for that. So these are all kind of ideas that uh, we would want to we want to do that. Um, what changes the game more? Uh, Overwatch two, CS two, or random biweekly patches in League of Legends? Well, uh, well, Overwatch two didn't change the game very much, so not that one. I guess the question is like. Does a patch in League of Legends change the game more than CS to CS, CSGO to CS2? I'm not sure we're going to know that yet, but the smoke change is pretty huge to CS2. What, what was the first part of the question? What changes the game more? Because there's a, I mean, it obviously depends on the patch in League of Legends. I would argue yeah. that most of the season ending patches in League of Legends are probably bigger than the changes that oh, I've easily. seen from CS to CS2. Like, even though the smoke change is absolutely huge, and in my, like, look, in my rather uneducated Counter Strike opinion, not being a deep analyst of that game, but being a fan of it, I, I think the new smokes look super cool. Um, I think it's really interesting the way you can interact with it. Um, it appears to me that you can, it'll be more interesting tactically. What's your take on it? I don't think it'll be that big a difference. Like there's even downsides potentially to where the smokes work. The problem with things like smokes or weapons is Counter-Strike especially is a game about abusing every possible exploitable aspect. So if a gun like the Krieg's too powerful, everyone just uses it. If smokes right. work in a certain way, everyone will be, so the, the problem is you can't ever really know until the pros apply it, if it's better or worse. Right. I will say, I think in general league, even just individual patches are way bigger. Like if anything, the thing I think actually comforts a lot of people about CS2 is it doesn't feel like it's it's going to be radically different. It's basically CSGO with a different I graphics, agree. which is what everyone wants because I mean, the, reason... the graphics look fucking amazing. Like, let's be real. Nobody in 2015 ever said like, oh, I'm not going to keep playing CSGO if it's the same. It's the opposite. We don't want it changed. So I actually think <laughs> that's the best selling point is that it's somewhat more like it's right. more akin to the Overwatch to Overwatch 2 change than it is to like a brand new game. Right. And, and that's the, that's why we continue to see player growth in Counter-Strike. Again, you know, Counter-Strike hit a new level of peak concurrent players just recently. And as soon as the new game drops, we'll probably see a level of, of concurrent players that were never ever equaled in CSGO. Like I imagine the first week of CS2 is going to see a, a level of play in Counter-Strike that we have never seen before in the game. And a lot of that is because it stays the same. You can walk away from Counter-Strike for literally years and come back and play the same map with a, you know, basically the same map, maybe some minor changes with the same, virtually the same economy and the same weapons. You can't do it. If you're out in three years in League of Legends, I will just tell you from being in Overwatch League, it's fucking hard to come back, man. Like I had to work hard to get, you know, my, my, my analysis skills back up to back up to speed and learn all the changes within the game. Like it's tough. If tomorrow you could separate the lol pro scene from casual gaming, what would you include in your first patch notes? Well, disabling Yumi until the end of time. Uh, that would probably be a good a good start. Um, I would, you know, I mean, I never cared about the casual scene, the professional scene being very different. So I would undo all of the lane swap changes that they made, all those weird ass, you know, buffs to durability on the, the health of armor of the top turrets so you couldn't lane swap. Um, that'd be great. I would change those things immediately. I've got an idea for you. This All is right. just a pure, I'm just throwing this out there. It's not even a thing that was ever in league, but because here's the problem. I am a hardcore 
aficionado of any game I follow. So, for example, in league, I don't give a shit. I would just make it the hardest game possible, and I would just allow the old thing with unlimited wards and oracles and that. But here's a compromise I came up with. What if the compromise to make the pro scene the same game as the casual players, but slightly different in how you apply it? Because what I'm doing is applying Counter-Strike thinking here. One of the things that Valve tends to fuck up with is they balance the game as if you were an individual player in a matchmaking game with like teammates you don't know, and so it's this gun against that gun, or this utility against But what they miss is that in the pro scene, we have a team of five players who work together and can do things like you can get the, the pistols, but you can have three people behind the corner, can't you? So increase the chance you get a kill. So now it's no longer about is this gun balanced 1v1? What happens if three right. people have it? So similar logic. Here's what I would suggest as a compromise in league. You should essentially, Monty, be able in spawn or on the map, you should be able to give your wards to the jungler but make it like That's the trinket. Idea. So then he collects them all up as he's doing his paths, and then he's got more wards. So that would... It, I notice I haven't broken like the old one. There's a limited one. That's a good idea. But I've made like a compromise with like a teamwork element. I think that would be amazing. What an interesting detail that could be. Because essentially, yeah. increasing jungle like agency, I think as long as it's not just about killing people, which is all jungle the game, if you actually increase it as in like the way it interacts with that, I think that's one of the coolest parts of League. Yeah. I mean, I love that because I love macro. In your opinion, which player on which team was the biggest one v one man carry slash one v nine player ever? Has to be Uzi, right? He was making world finals, being <laughs> in league, an insane carry. Yeah, he's in up league. there for yeah. sure. I mean, Knight's very good. Um, who else? But in terms Ro of like at one, times rookie, one, yeah, one v nine player. I mean, I think Uzi made world finals with like two different rosters where he was one v nine. Uh, what three esports do you most enjoy watching for their gameplay? Disregarding production history, popularity, narratives, etc. cetera. Uh, Brood War, Counter-Strike, Warcraft 3, probably. I guess the joke is I actually don't think I would pick Brood War because a lot of what I loved about it was also the fact that it was like Koreans played it and the storylines were amazing. And everyone, like, the actual like- I, the gameplay. I'm an RTS The actual guy, so. like raw aesthetic. I, I was never a big RTS fan. So I never found that part as exciting. Like actually for me, that's the reason why I, the, one of the reasons essentially why I could never tolerate StarCraft 2 is it took me a long time as someone who comes from FPS games to appreciate why people thought the Brood War micro was so impressive. It's like, he's barely doing things, he's moving a guy back and forth. In StarCraft 2, they weren't even doing that. They were just sending the units and they just go and they go and attack the video move. game just it's like I'm watching fucking like Final Fantasy when I do an attack. It's like roll the die. Oh, you did not get the hit. Like, what is this shit? So I like I don't think Brood War was ever that crazy for me. So I guess for that, if we're going off pure game elements, maybe I would even put like Street Fighter or something. I always thought that was pretty man, man. impressive when someone does like those insane parries or fucking I always thought that was quite impressive to look at aesthetically, you know. Yeah, I, I actually I'm an RTS guy, so I just love Brood War from the gameplay perspective. Uh, how much do you think that Faker versus Ryu clip hurt Ryu's career and mental? As is, we remember him of the other Zed. I mean, he's had a really successful career overall. He's and he's also a coach yeah. now. Like, uh, you know, he's the coach of KT and KT did super well. Um, so, oh, he's not the coach of KT. Uh, who's he coaching? Live Sandbox? Yes, Live Sandbox. Uh, Live Sandbox. Yes. Sorry, I misspoke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's been very successful and continues to be. I don't think he's that. I mean, I know him. He's a pretty low-key guy. I don't think he's By that, the way, that, that must be one thing you appreciate, Monty, that like low-key history has sort of borne you out as right because almost everyone in that KT Rolster B team is now like a fucking coach of like an LCK team or some <laughs> shit like that. Like essentially, they're just spread about across the league now. <laughs> yep. And they are like chess pieces ruling all the game. Yeah, it's great. 
I mean, I, I love that, that macro theme. knowledge must have been legit. It was just legit, uh, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that theme. Uh, what are some of the biggest bait Also, by the way, as an aside, if you actually, I know, I don't know Ryu obviously personally because he speaks Korean. I don't. But from the people who've been teammates of him, I actually get the sense of all the players. He's someone actually that just rolled off his back and didn't give a shit about that. Ryu actually does have that mental. He just seems like yes. he can just he can just get past it. He doesn't seem like he's the guy haunted by that. Like maybe death would be or something, you know. And I, yeah. I, I actually think he didn't. He never let that bother him, mate. Yeah, he's transitioned his career really effectively as well. Um, what are some of the biggest bait picks in LOL history? I have a hatred for season seven AD Kennen. Well, Jungle Rumble has to be one of them because a lot of it, it's not that it was bad, it's just that a lot of teams were bad at using it. Um, mid Galio at certain times has been that as well, where it, it takes a specific style of gameplay and a specific player in order to do that well in the in the mid lane. Um some of the mages bot, like Vladimir or Syndra bot, when that was popular, like some players, even though it was good, could still not play it. So I, they I got think, by the way, it. a lot, I think a lot of the melee mid champions have been fucking baits. Like the amount of times I've seen yes, someone bro. in LPL make like a fucking Renekton look awesome. And then yeah. I see like the perks game or something like this is a fucking travesty. So definitely some of the mid melee ones were fucking nightmares to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Are there any names that have been forgotten or never got their praise for having big contributions to esports, like the unsung heroes? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Unsung. Not least because here's the thing. It, the reason why I personally think raw creativity is actually overrated in esports is esports isn't about being the first to have an idea oftentimes the first to have the idea isn't the best guy it's the guy who refines it and makes it world class that's what i'm impressed by so if you don't know lords of the shit in league and cs and starcraft a lot of the tricks weren't invented by the best players they just took them and refined them so like for example there's a guy in um brood war who was on the same team as savior who i think is the one they all credit as doing like the muta micro against the scourge like how you do that little trick or whatever like some of the there's some people where like they're not even famous players you wouldn't even know the name seriously like the alias if i told you but like yeah there's people who've had like massive effects on the game think about some of the counter strike things people figured out or some of the tricks in league like as that's why the, that's why it actually so unsatisfying in league because when the player goes i was the first to bring this into my region you go and look and it was just some no name one trick that actually did it on the ladder and he saw him do it and went you made this i did and then he just plays <laughs> it in lcs than me yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys are asking anime questions again. This goes back to the point about doing additional shows. I am open to doing anime shows because there's a question about Monster, which is a series that I really like. And there's a question about Legend of the Galactic Heroes, which I haven't seen, but I think you've seen or you have you said you liked the one it. I always recommend. Yeah. These are long conversations, guys, and maybe there is a world where we do some sort of like anime-specific oh, content. Also, by the way, on the network. Legend of the Galactic Heroes, when I ironically want, it's like 120 episodes. I mean, so. Monsters is it, Monsters <laughs> enormously long as well. That's the problem, guys. Is like if we we really have to commit to this, and we only have so much time, and we have to spend a ton of time watching esports and making this content for you. So you know, 100 episode animes are. I have got a good answer for you, though. I'll give you some free order. entertainment, which is if you know anything about other esports games here's why what you all think would be the dream was would be way way more underwhelming than you think you all think that because these players in esports are so brilliant and they are in the game some of them are geniuses at what they can do in the game you all think naively 
fuck, imagine being friends and talking to that guy. That's the least interesting part about that guy. And what you would find is it would be so underwhelming. So I'll give you a little detail right now. Recently, simple, easily, by the way, the greatest CSGO player. I think just the greatest Counter-Strike player ever. In fact, I might even, for me, he might even just be the best person to ever play esports. He's that talented. And in the game, he is unbelievably good. Like, he is just Neo in the match. He's just one with the game and can do anything, no matter how impossible. Outside of the game, he recently said in an interview, he can't even believe that the anime Naruto exists because it's too good and too well written. That is the fucking <laughs> intellectual capacity of maybe the greatest esports player of all time. Not, not even the good ones. He can't even believe it's Naruto true. can exist. By the way, probably the most filler, filled shit show of all time. Well, that if you're not exists. 14, well, DBZ was the original, wasn't it? If you're not 14, like, why are you raving about this? Dude, he even comes from fucking Eastern Europe. Like, you're not talking about like Russia, War and Peace or fucking Dostoevsky. Naruto's your level. Like, <laughs> mate, they, they, that embarrasses me in esports, mate. <laughs> fucking hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Um, <laughs> Interesting question. Would corporal punishment be effective for NA esports players in increasing their performance? On a real note, does the extreme style of coaching from Whiplash work in Western esports? Okay, here's the thing about Whiplash. The, the character in Whiplash buys into the abusive style of teaching. Like the, the drummer is, an, is insanely driven himself and the teacher realizes that he responds very well to this brutal training in order to be better. And so it, it, is it abusive when you are opting in? You are literally like, because the drummer could walk away. He could leave the school. It's not like he's required to be there, right? And yet every time when he's faced with this adversity that the teacher um, you know, presents him with, it drives him to go to the next level because he is so determined to increase his skill. So the answer to this question is, that is a you have to find the unique relationships and it can take a it, it absolutely can take a driven person to the next level is it ethical that's the question i think if both parties are bought in and there is a clear opt out to that situation it can be considered ethical it's i don't know actually it's, like it's the work thing. equivalent to bdsm yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the problem with that scenario was this. It's actually a topic that I think has so much legs and so many things you could discuss. It's just, it's not politically expedient and people's feelings will get hurt. So here's one of the obvious reasons why this topic is actually a valuable question. Because if you actually look, the closest thing to whiplash is the LPL. That is just how they coach their teams. Everyone's seen the clip with the Maokai guy where he goes in the script, tells them all their shit and he's shit and that they're all fucking up the whole game. Like, he doesn't do that. Like, the joke is, they would never... Monty, they released that clip themselves in that documentary. Like, that would be like a leak from TSM that would get someone, like, fined or fired or something. That's just another fucking day in the LPL. So, first of all, it already exists. But the downside is this. If it turns out you're being mean to the player and, are you ready? Think about Danny. You might even be affected his mental condition and he might even get depressed or in, in some hard snap no one's going to want that so it doesn't matter that the results might be good no one's willing to accept what the price is so the real problem with this topic is this Monty because it's a bigger topic in society obviously it's not that I'm in favour of corporal punishment I think many elements about it are brutish and horrible and surely there's a better way but that reminds me so much Monty of all these fucking LCS teams telling me that they don't need to work like the LPL does because they're going to work smarter instead of harder and it's like you've never accomplished it You've never managed it so far. So I do think there must be a way without corporal punishment to make young men become structured and disciplined and all that stuff. It's just that I've yet to see what it is.
Like maybe it's some like, maybe, in fact, by the way, maybe that's even the next level shit. Maybe the real genius in esports will be someone in 10 years who comes along who makes like a youth system incorporating like Waldorf and fucking Montessori concepts and they make like the most <laughs> next level way of learning yeah, the game. From Maybe it's true. My problem is this. I don't know that it's like, I don't like many elements, but I can't argue with the results. That's all I'll say. Right. And, you, and you, you guys just have to understand that the price of greatness and competitive disciplines or an art is insane work ethic and practice. Like the whole thing about Whiplash is that it's based off of Charlie Parker, the the insane saxophonist. I mean, his, he, he was said to practice like 15 or 16 hours a day every day for years. And that's how he kind of broke the mold of jazz and created, he basically, I mean, he's, he's one of, if not the most influential jazz musician of all time, because he created a new way of playing jazz that nobody had ever seen before. And it was a, a vast stylistic departure. He was a virtuoso, but he also just fucking died of like cirrhosis of the liver and his massive like alcohol and drug problems and health issues he was a deeply unwell human being but that was the price of getting this insane musical gift out of him and like that's the concept of whiplash and the thing is is that the more you applaud these people for this drive the more they do it the more they destroy themselves and then you, you know you are partially responsible for those results as far as i can tell as someone who spent a lot of time studying like the stories and the careers and the biographies of people who are expert elite level great sportsmen of all time essentially the real secret to being the best at a sport is that you are more in, it, it is more important to you to be the best in the sport than to have a good life if you understand that statement, you understand the trade-off these people are choosing to make. And by the way, I once heard like a Kobe interview, which reminded me of my own scenario in esports. He said something like that if you're trying to compete with him, he's he's won already because you're going to spend time with your friend. You're going to go see your family. You're going to watch a movie. He's not doing that. He's just sleeping, eating, yeah. spends one hour with his kids, and he goes and trains again. I used to do the same thing, Monty. In esports, here's what's funny. One of the reasons I never let people like make me feel inferior because I was a nerd is because it was my advantage. When I used to go to events and there'd be another journalist there who's trying to compete with me, and he has a girlfriend, and he watches anime, and he plays the game 50 hours a week, and he does all this, and he's social. You can't possibly beat me because all the time you're doing that, I'm researching. I'm doing another interview. <laughs> I'm researching the next thing. I'm watching your interview to figure out what you didn't ask to ask him either. You can't beat me in that scenario. I would beat your heads up anyway. But now I've just got an impossible advantage. So you know, what you have to understand is this. I'm not that person anymore. Now I do want a balanced life and I want to have a life outside of esports and I want to have time where I work at these hours and these hours. But I'll tell you what, I can't argue with the results again. Those were the years when I was blasting every number. Those were the years when, even as a non-pro, I was ahead of every ex-pro trying to be an analyst of well, fucking Counter-Strike, a game I've never played professionally. It's, it's so also, the, the results is hard to argue with. Like you say, it's hard to argue with. I, I mean, you also built your foundation of knowledge in that era, so it's not like those skills that you sp no, spend I'm, time I'm grinding. From it now. Serve, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing with me. It's like the reason why I was the best League of Legends broadcast analyst in the world when I was casting at OGN was because I was casting every game of the best league. Then I was coaching a professional team, so I was an insider and I was like streaming or watching all of the other games from around the world. It's the same reason why Kadrol is like the best analyst right now. He's broadcasting one of the leagues, doing most 
you know, a large number of those games. Plus, he's co-streaming LCK and LPL. It's why Dom is an expert. I mean, these guys just grind the game harder than anybody else. And like, I'm not the best analyst in the world anymore, but I'm still pretty good because I watch so many of the games these days. And so that's, you know, but I, I you yes. know, Dom and Cajal are more knowledgeable about the game than I am right now. Now, I have different takes and I bring a different vibe to the analysis than those guys do because I frame the game a different way in my mind and I can pull from all of my historical knowledge of the scene in order to make interesting comparisons and, and do these shows. So it's just it's just different. But that's the way that you you really, you know, grind out this stuff. By the way, I also agree with you on that, though. Like, It's not like now I don't benefit from all those years. Obviously, I oh, yeah. a lot of that builds up. It's why I actually have started doing, as a way to frame it, I do that. I do my own paraphrase on the Picasso line about when he did a sketch for that woman, which is if, when you know, like people think I'm lying when I say it. You know those videos, like the one I did about death, and I did one about device, and I did one about like losers in CSGO, those short hype videos that are like three to five minutes where I narrate them. This is not a joke, guys. From the moment I sit down with the idea, write the script and record it, it is less than 30 minutes. But that sounds either impossible or like, wow, I'm a genius. I'm not. It doesn't take 30 minutes. That took 22 years and 30 exactly. minutes. If you understand that <laughs> principle, now you understand how hard it is to right. achieve mastery. Like, you know? It's like, you know, it's like Robin Williams. You know, Robin Williams spent so much time doing all these different characters, working on his voice work, his comedic skills that he could be so entertaining immediately. But it's not that he was a genius. It's just that he had done so many iterations of these things over the years that he has a giant bag of tricks to pull from. So it's about creating your bag of tricks, basically. Uh, how did Tabe go from leaking strategies on a public broadcast to being the coach of a great team? You'd think he'd be a persona non grata after that incident. Uh, I don't think they really took it was on an English language stream that he leaked those strategies. I think he probably I mean, he's still very knowledgeable at the game, former professional player. Uh, it, it's not that big of a deal. I they also think. just seem to have weird like ways of who they kick out and who they keep and that thing. Because if people don't know, even before the leak in the strats, Tarbe himself had had a bunch of things. Like, if people don't know, before he was on Royal Club, he was on like I think IG and him and like Whites like fucked the whole team up and like Rick, Rick like left the last minute or so. They were doing there was loads of like scandals over the years. So bizarrely in the LPL, I'm not quite sure what the actual rationale is for what gets you kicked out forever. Because so, on the one hand, like you have that scenario where like as far as I can tell and based on some things I've heard. When Bo got banned for match fixing, I've heard he might not even have done it or maybe he was the one who did it the least and maybe he even by coming forwards, that's why they put... Like, right. I, it's so, it's such a different world, guys. I can't, I can't really figure out the reasons yeah. in their world. They just I, have their own way of thinking. Chinese cultural thing, I have no idea. Yes. Um, now, now that we're starting to see Viego, I feel like the Disable changed the course of the split in some regions. Which champion Disable in history was the most impactful? This one's easy, guys. It's when they fucking disabled Gangplank. So they did the Gangplank rework, right? And Riot decided to do a story event where Gangplank was killed. So they disabled him in solo queue, but kept him... Uh, enabled for professional play so nobody could actually practice him in solo queue so you could only practice him in scrims and obviously that changed for the professional scene a lot because you had to you know it was the teams that it was very op by the way he was very strong in this new iteration and so you know if you got into scrims and you were unlucky and it was banned you never got to practice with it or against it and then you got into a professional game where somebody was playing it potentially for the first time like you may not have known how strong it was it was the stupidest shit of all times they literally disabled gangplank for lore reasons and that that was easily the the biggest champion disable in history also the world where gragas was like disabled halfway through was also super bad uh, that was a very bizarre scenario 
I mean, the joke is, you can actually invert the question, though. It's when they didn't disable Mordekaiser for that world. That's what actually <laughs> yeah, that's ruined true. me. That was the worst one of all time, wasn't it? It seems like they're getting better, though. Props to them for disabling Yumi for MSI. You love to hear it. Um, Monty, what are some of your favorite national parks that I've been to? Uh, I mean, I love national parks. I mean, uh, I if you guys one in Colorado, right? There must be a big oh, there's one there. There's four in Colorado. Um, I grew up right next to Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, I've been to Great Sand Dunes. There's Black Canyon of the Gunnison. Maybe there's only three. Oh, there's Mesa Verde. I've been to Mesa Verde as well. Um, so love Mesa Verde. Uh, love Joshua Tree. Uh what else do I like? Arches in Utah is beautiful. And I've been to so many of these, honestly. Um, Grand Canyon is stunning. I've hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, stayed at Phantom Ranch down there. A lot of the ones in the West. I used to live, I, I lived very briefly in Maine, right next to Acadia National Park, uh, which is the only national park in New England. Um, but a lot of them are in the West and just absolutely gorgeous. If you guys, uh, if you guys are unfamiliar, so I'm a huge Ken Burns documentary fan and he did a really awesome, uh, documentary on the national parks and the formation of the national parks and Yosemite and, and Yellowstone being the first couple that were there and how John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt really pushed for that. And I think, you know, for me, the national parks are one of the best things about America and American culture, because you have to remember that before the national parks existed and national parks now exist all over the world in different countries, but America was the first, is that all of these like natural reserves were held by nobility. Like in England, they were private natural natural reserves for hunting or for the nobles. And so what is one of the best parts of America was that they democratized the preservation of natural beauty and made it so that people could have access to these things and encouraged people to go. And for me, especially as somebody who is from the American West, it is such a quintessential part of who I am um, that I deeply love it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I really like Teddy Roosevelt as a president. And I think it's just a core American belief. And one of the things that makes me most proud to be an American, honestly. All so. I'll say is this, just due to some rabbit holes I've been down, it does sound like a good idea that these are cool places you can go and experience nature and stuff. I would just say it, just keep a close eye on everyone. That's all I'm going to say. Keep a close eye on everyone. <laughs> Don't think just because you're in nature, everything's safe. Just keep a close eye on everyone. <laughs> keep track of where everyone is. That's all I'm going to say. Out of all the different esports, who are some of the players that, in your opinion, managed to successfully create an interesting brand slash persona for themselves? Like player brands. I mean, I loved Imps. Imps was hilarious. I mean, I've got to be real. One of the most obvious ones actually is LS. If people don't know, LS yeah. used to play all the games first. He wasn't trying yeah, to be like an analyst. Like, that was a mega pivot. Like, uh, Imps a good one. Let me think. I'm trying to think of some of the more weird people, though, because is that like, let me think. Well, like, I think, for example, you can put people like Jazuki in this big smear. I think Jazuki's mega entertaining, not only in the game as a personality. He's got that ridiculous, like, he just laughs at everything, basically. I think he's mega personality. He's fucking sick. Yeah, Jazuki is super funny right now. I agree. Perks is a good one. I think Perks, Perks is, is somehow nailed. What Perks has nailed, by the way, here's the sad thing. 
in if this was like UFC, Perks is Conor McGregor and he would make all the money. Because, dude, he's mastered that thing of like, if you're going to be a champion, you either have to be the babyface and everyone has to love you. But Perks' style is he's like Triple H. He's like the shit-eating grin as he's then the champion. Like, that's brilliant because that, that does the G2 thing of polarizing. You get all your fans who like you winning and then everyone who hates you obsessively follows you. And the joke <laughs> is, like, if you have, I don't think you guys realize the idea Perks was still one of the like into a top LCS team but anytime he lost all of Reddit had to discuss like was he a fraud that just means he's won the marketing battle it's over he just wins automatically as soon as you make that thread he won well also Ocelot who turned his entire brand into G2 really good one yeah uh, next, as someone who hasn't played League in seven years and mostly follows competitive three-year content slash uh, plus finals, MSI, and Worlds, I hate Aphelia since I will never uh, get what he does. Yes, he's very badly designed from a understanding from watching perspective. This way, the only reason I even sort of softened on Aphelios, like I said, is because I just know some of the best ADCs and they explained like how they use it. If I hadn't done that, I'd also just think it was shite. Like I wouldn't have yeah, any clue it, they were doing. It, it, <laughs> so the problem with Aphelios is I do think it's a very good champion for skill expression. I do think his design is incredibly opaque and non-intuitive and no one will ever really understand what he does. <laughs> um. So in what, in your opinion, was the worst designed champion in League of Legends? So like I said, from a gameplay perspective, I don't think Aphelios is badly designed. It's from a, like a readability perspective that he's fucking terrible. Uh, well, Yumi aside. Is, we have to ignore Yumi, obviously. So if yeah, we go beyond Yumi that, what are you, you going to take beyond that? What's really badly designed? Beyond Aphelios? Uh, I mean, Zeri's pretty bad. Zeri's just too the, simplistic to me. The, the, the problem with Zeri that I find is that the... You know, identifying the difference between the Q and the auto attack, as well as what her ult actually does, yep. is a little weird. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty bad. I mean, things that also change, like their ults change based on on different conditions, like Kiana is pretty weird. Um uh now to say it's not just coincidentally because adam plays it but i've always thought darius is absolute ass mate like <laughs> it's just too feast and famine like like yeah. if, if everyone remembers that famous it's balls pentakill, what he does though like that balls pentakill just invalidates the ideas that like all pentakills are created he goes, who gives a shit he's just belly oh, drag in and hit you like brilliant yeah oh how skilled are oh, the fucking insane <laughs> all right Peter Dunn is often praised for his ability to shape a team based on their personnel and provide them with structure and identity. He's also great at scouting and training young prospects into good players with a proven track record with young NA talent. Since T1 is an NA org with young talent, do you think Peter is the answer to T1's playoff underperformance? No, because he doesn't speak Korean. Oh, jokes aside, do you think T1 needs a new head coach slash coaching staff? Should they try to poach score or do you think bring back a coach like Coma or Nofe? I think they're. I think they need a new drafting coach. I would start there. Like their drafts have been a little bit weird, especially in finals. And I, I think they need a firmer hand in the draft because they are not identifying issues that they have in their performance quickly enough, which leads them to lose additional games in high stakes matches. Um, and they are overconfident. The players appear to be overconfident when they are underperforming, which causes them to lose in critical situations. 
I also think as well, you're doing too much of a Western thinking there. Like, I don't even know if Score would leave KT and go to T1. One, he's a KT man, like, almost his whole career. Oh, Genji, and two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, Genji, sorry, yeah. But, yeah. like, no, in this scenario, though, like, in, like Genji gave him the shot. Like, he was nobody, you know, was unpopular. Genji, brings Genji, players in. Genji not only gave him the shot, but they gave him total control of the team. And he's made three consecutive finals and won two of them, guys. Like, why would he go to a team that he's beaten two out of three times? That's just Western thinking, guys. I think he's going to be way more loyal than that. Come on, that would be my take. Uh, and also, like, he just has more control over that roster. If you go to the T1, you will always be second fiddle to Faker. Faker is, again, the real coach of that team. He will always have the last word. Is there a game that came out in recent past that you would like to have had more success, popular in both West and East, so that it could rise to become another great eSport to follow and possibly create content for? Man, I would love another RTS. Like, we've talked about this. Another RTS that was globally popular would be great. I wish, I'm hoping that Counter-Strike 2 has more popularity in Asia because they, we, we talked about this previously. The big tell, one of the big tells to the fact that Valve was going to release a new version of Counter-Strike was that they secretly deployed new servers in Korea for CSGO. Didn't make any sense. Why would they do that? It's not in PC bugs. So if Valve has a real plan for rolling out in the in the internet cafes in Korea with this new server for the new game next year, if they've got a really good promotion plan, it could be absolutely huge in Korea. They like they like tax shooters, they like military shooters. They could be primed to really take over the market. I just don't believe that Valve understands how China and Korea works. I've yet to see it ever happen. If it happens, the joke is people are going to think I'm trolling, but I'm actually being serious. I think it would have been cooler if Overwatch had become really big. Yeah, well, ironically. I actually like yeah. that game. And it was it was played worldwide, too. I mean, the player base is very large for that if game. People it's larger know, than Valorant. One of the most underrated parts of Overwatch was the skill expression. Dude, if, if you were some player, like the fucking, the Widowmaker player, you were a very skilled player. You could oh, dominate yeah. a game. It was fucking sick. Also allowed for a lot of different forms of uh, skill expression based on class. Um, so, yeah, obviously, that would have been nice for me personally. In your opinion, does esports have a mecca location that everyone hopes to play at least one game in, like Lambeau Field, Maracana Stadium? Probably just go to Korea, I would guess. Just is the go main to thing any, most any final in Korea? Yeah. Any final in Korea? That's it, right? Yep. Uh, favorite short story collections? I'm not a really big short story guy. It's never really well, been I mean, my jam. I, I'm pretty sure you actually bought me one. Didn't you buy me one that was a, a Borges? A Borges. One? Yeah, Borges. Was I good. love Borges. Um, if people I don't know, Borges. He, essentially, Borges, if you've never read it, the reason why it's good is because one, they're short stories, so they're not a massive commitment. And then two, it's essentially like a more literary Twilight Zone episode. That would be the oh, rad yeah. phrase, you know. But but really clever concepts and ideas. Like so yeah. And it is 420. If you guys wanted to read oh, it, four twenty short story, Bor has it's like a lot of like crazy mind puzzles and it's really fun stuff. Really fun yes. stuff. Uh would having no restrictions on the number of imports actually help LCS perform better internationally? I, I, we've already talked about this actually oh by the way as an aside the other one i'll throw in for short stories is just sherlock holmes you can just go and buy yeah, one yeah. book it's complete stories they're short oh, yeah. they're really short guys yeah very fun for sure <laughs> if you were to pick any minor re or major region in lull and power rank the teams based on their performance relative to money spent what would it be uh 
well, it's going to be China and Korea because they've spent money, but they've also delivered the results. It's probably Korea probably had the best value. I mean, DRX had insane value last year. It's not like they were paying those guys any money. No, there's no way. <laughs> so to win the joke is, If people Korea don't know, pain. the craziest thing about the world's win for DRX is, I would guess that was their down year. If you look at the players they had previous oh, yeah. years, that looked like that was the budget year, but they just fucked around and won worlds. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then didn't even sign the players again. Can we get a video about Riot's absurdly shallow statement about their commitment to esports? You just yeah, got it, we baby. Could maybe, we could maybe work some out here. You know. <laughs> we'll only spend an hour and a half talking about it. Uh, for us LFN nephews, what Brood War SC2 match would you recommend that is epic and fun to watch? Oh, Ooh, man. Okay. Okay. I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of any of the Savior finals. Um, I mean, the Flash Jadong rivalry was a really fun one to follow. I, I Man, that is... You're talking about, like, you know, 15 years of history, though. I'd have to go back, honestly. Uh, let me think. Even though it's the one that ends with that ominous thing with, like, the lights go out. The near MSL final was a bagger up until that point. It had, like, three games that were really good. Uh, for StarCraft 2, I'm not as big a fan of StarCraft 2, but I would say the classic one is just go to 2012 and watch all the big series that Stefano wins because he was, like, oh, yeah. a very, like enigmatic iconic player who played off intuition and feel and could have very high APM too so essentially the way he would win against like Koreans was it was just really cool to watch basically I mean honestly the answer to this question is like tweet at Artosis and ask him because he'll give you a bunch uh, why does LEC insist on having the final so close to international tournaments this year they even had that random break why you guys are asking all the questions we already answered so go back uh, best way to get into the NFL for someone who has only casually watched over the years Oh, I can give you this. It's basically, it, it, it'll it help a lot if you've ever followed a game like CSGO or Attack FPS. What you need to do, essentially, is just view each of the downs like it was the T-side in Counter-Strike and someone's trying, like, whatever execute or whatever push they're going to do. Because, essentially, it's the same game. You read the defense. You have your own playbook. You pick the player that makes the most sense. Within that, a player can have a little bit of wiggle room. Maybe the wide receiver puts an extra bit of mustard on the beginning of the route, but he's still going for the same route. So, there's one area because that'll get you like the basics of what are the teams doing over and over again. And then in my opinion, in every sport or esport, you find the player that is just incredibly compelling to you. Something about their skill set, their story makes you want to follow them because following them through their eyes, you'll learn the rest of the sport. You'll learn the other roles in the game as they interact with them. You'll learn the defense. You'll learn the opponents. You'll see what other people who play as well. So I think there's the two ways you do it. You do like one is you kind of get a basic sense of the sport and then two, pick a player and see the game through his eyes. That's my style. Yeah, there's also just some good... There's a lot of good uh, YouTube channels as well. There's a lot of good analysis out there, like yes. um, Kurt Warner, the former uh, professional quarterback for the Rams. He was a Super Bowl winner with, like, the greatest show on turf. He's been doing, like, some really good um, breakdown and analysis. He's got a channel called Kurt Warner and QB Confidential. Um that he does like scouting he, right now. He's, I'm just looking at it right now. He's doing scouting of some of the top like uh, quarterback candidates um, from college that are going to be drafted this year. Um, but it, honestly, like a lot of his content is super good. If you want to get into the nitty gritty, there's another guy I'm trying to find him. I, I forget his name. I follow him on Twitter that let me, let me look real quick. Let me try to find this guy. Um, I think there's a Tim bunch Jenkins. of yeah, Tim Jenkins. He's at T Jenkins Elite uh, on Twitter, 
and he does some super cool um, kind of like X and O breakdowns where he explains a lot of this stuff. He's got a YouTube channel as well. But these are some people that really do a, a very good job of like talking about why certain teams are doing well or their analysis of the game with footage. So, yeah. There you go. Oh, I've got some bad news, Monty. We're going to have to pay for Twitter Blue. They've just taken all the tweet, the blue check marks off <laughs> just as we're speaking. Oh, really? Yeah. You grew your account now. We'll have it. Oh boy, we've been yanked. Well, We're back to anonymity. We, we, we've been we've been yanked now. Now the algorithm will hate us even more. What well, whatever will we do? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I asked who at LFN should be the next Bond. So my question this week is, who at LFN for comedic person would be the next Bond girl? <laughs> Who's the hot young thing in in LFN? Uh, maybe Maui Snake, the the up and coming star. Obviously, he's a bit more in the uh, odd job category there. I don't give a fuck. If you don't know me, you have to just live with it. If this is who I am, I don't give a fuck. Uh, who are some players that your eye test didn't rate very highly but still had successful careers when where they weren't just carried by others? Doan B? <laughs> he looks a lot better now or, you know, did while he was still playing. Um. I mean, an obvious one to me is like Paul Belter. I never thought the eye test really sure. ever screamed was anything special, but look, what fucking, look how many fucking, yeah, there's another one. Look how many finals they were in. Oh, it's very impressive, yeah. Uh, who uh, Favorite Western music soundtracks? I mean, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is obvious. Like the Ennio Morricone soundtracks are fucking insanely good. Um, What's sad is, because of League of Legends, I just took Western to mean like in Europe. Oh, yeah, they're like cowboy. I know what you mean, though, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, obviously, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, and that trilogy of films is is absolutely top tier. Um, Let me think of some other ones. I like the 310, the new 310 to Yuma soundtrack I thought was really good. Uh, Those are the two that stand out to me right off the bat. All right. In league, we have seen a plethora of potential talents. Who is the greatest unrealized potential star that never made the hype? I mean, it's Apto. Like, it's Apto. I was going to say never, the same thing. Dolphin, yeah. there's, there's no other choice, right? Like that's the that is the the, the most disappointing alternate yeah. reality of League of Legends that we like. There is, by the way, in the multiverse, there is a universe where Apto becomes Dark Faker, and we have like the best anime plot of all time in League of Legends, where Apto and Faker are fighting each other for like a decade. That would have this been fucking story insane. reminds me of like the urban legends people tell about like certain yeah. players, especially in the NBA, where they just like came from a bad background and they you went to prison instead of like getting to the NBA. But like people just say like, oh, they were even better than Jordan or whatever. Like he's right. essentially that version in League. Yeah. yeah. So I think that one's that's a pretty easy answer. I don't. I mean, another one at least could have been Dardock, who probably never really hit his ceiling, even though we knew he was really good because of his personality. Um, we, you know, conflicting with the team, Pickaboo is obviously another one. Had some had a very outstanding, very short run in League of Legends. Looked like he was going to be the you know the next great Korean support player, and then just quit. <laughs> uh, those are those are some good ones, I think. All right, that was our last question for this week. Uh, We will be back for next week, guys, to discuss all things LEC. We'll be back at our normal time on the 25th, so Tuesday live and with the show coming out Wednesday. I had some other obligations this week, so couldn't do Tuesday, but we'll be back at the normal time then. And that'll that'll roll us right into MSI, basically. Uh, 
we will will be announcing a new schedule for this show for MSI because obviously that's going to be determined by the play in stage and like worlds it, it will have to look at the schedule and see where we can slot this show in that makes sense because the week after that will be the second that'll be the first day of MSI so there will not be an SI episode uh, that day because the games will be happening so anyway thanks guys for watching see you next week